Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your listener Q&A portion of the week in IndyCar. All right, friends. It I was about to say it's Monday night. It's no longer Monday night. It's now Tuesday morning. It is 12.28 a.m. For those of you who might be wondering, Pruitt, we already know you're an idiot, so we don't need that answer. But why? Why are you starting to record the listener Q&A? at 12.28 a.m. Tuesday morning, the, what is this, the 25th now, I think? Well, see, friends, that's what happens when you have a little bit of a non-linear life at home. My amazing wife, who is continuing to make incredible progress in our fight against breast cancer and the other areas of her body, it has spread and who has been fighting against really significant we're using air quotes mobility issues for more than six months now well our schedule just gets a little bit funny we have at four standing drives slash appointments per week that take up some good time those happen at various points during those days so on days like this we get home we have a fair amount to do dinner to have i owe eight stories eight features for the next issue of razor magazine they were due yesterday oh two days ago now sunday and i just finished my penultimate one uh and indycar one by chance and so just got that finished and my wife is taking a bath and soaking her very weary, worn-out muscles and bones. And so we're going to have a busy day tomorrow where we have more uh, more treatment. So this is a bit of a long way of getting to the point of I wish that I woke up every day at the same time and did the same things and went to bed at the same time. But that doesn't happen at all, ever. (laughs) So what I try and do, knowing that our schedule at home, the priority of our lives, involves a lot of versatility and having to kind of move and shake and, hey, are you free this day at this time? No, but I am now, whatever it is, let's go do it. Um, It just means moving things around a lot, which I think I've become good at doing. So that's why when I have a window here to record some of our Week in IndyCar listener Q&A starting past midnight, well, I'm going to do it because I'm not exactly sure what tomorrow is going to hold. We'll mention, though, since I know this is not going up beforehand, that when you listen to this, uh, you will have learned about a certain fast-freaking-Fernando Returning to the family at McLaren, now as part of Aero McLaren SP, after being part of the failed attempt to qualify for the Indianapolis 500 last year in a standalone dedicated team put together by McLaren Racing for Fernando. This is the holy, holy, holy union we have been hoping for, my dear Weekend IndyCar listeners, 
And yes, I've had some coffee because there's no way in heck I'd even be awake right now without it. The thing I've been dreaming of, the thing I have been, uh, I'll say praying for. I haven't actually asked the Lord. This isn't a real prayer, but it is an earthly prayer, not a heavenly prayer. We have the union, the, the best union ever. I mentioned the team's correct name, Arrow McLaren SP. We're going to refer to this under the holy union we've been hoping for, the matrimony, IndyCar, Indy 500 matrimony. Schmidt, Peterson, Arrow Motorsports has joined forces with the Fernando Alonso Racing Team. Yes, friends, we have in certified guaranteed form show up in may dang it it's gonna happen hashtag spam fart is here hashtag spam fart oh thank you father we have (laughs) hashtag spam fart i am 49 years old i don't care I'm three years old when it comes to fart humor. It's never going to change. I know some of you men and women have shared that you are in the same depraved revelry as me. Spam fart. It happened. It finally happened. So I, I almost need to just take a knee. I feel like I should pour out a 40. I don't know what, but something. So, yeah, as you would have learned, good old Fred, going to be driving the number 66 Spam Fart Chevy uh, with sponsorship from Ruoff Mortgage, which Takuma Sato carried into victory lane with Andretti Autosport in 2017. A little question here. It's a question because I don't have an answer, but I do have a theory, which may have already been proven by the time you're listening, but... Knowing that this was more or less at the finish line with Andretti Autosport. And then we had the reasons that made it not cross the finish line. I would be willing to bet one of the new, hey, look, I thought of it. One of the new Marshall Pruitt podcast hashtag t-shirts that has all of my favorite and most commonly used hashtags on the show from hashtag me personally to Graham Goodwin, my weekend sports cars co-pilot, his hashtag let's wait and see phrase to hashtag front nose, my most hated redundancy when it comes to reporting. And of course, on there, hashtag spam fart. Um, I, I'd be willing to put some pretty good money. I'd be willing to hand out at least a free mp podcast hashtag t-shirt to michael andretti if he confirms that indeed the ruoff mortgage sponsorship that will adorn fred's spam fart mobile was what he lined up to pay for the whole thing at andretti auto sport so knowing that michael andretti and mclaren racing ceo zach brown are buds they're bros they have a australian supercars team together there's Part of me that more than part of me that thinks, you know what? This was a, all right, this is what we lined up. We got it done. We couldn't end up using it, but uh, I'll pass this your way for some points. 
you know, some sort of percentage on this. So, yeah, uh, that's a unique bridge, right? Uh, the Brewoff Mortgage, what I assume moving from Andretti Autosport over to the Fred Mobile. Oh, we got it, friends. We got Spam Fart. Ah, I could end the episode right here and just be tickled pink. But I won't. I'm going to keep going. Uh, what else? We're expecting an announcement this week that one J to the R, the JR Ewing of Seattle. Sorry. Um, Jerry Holderbrand should be announced as returning to Dreyer and Reinbold Racing. Interesting conversations with some of those in the paddock about this rather cryptic Robbie Buell team. Uh, so I know we got a question or two in there about that, so I'll cover that off there. But, yeah, if nothing else, if your cell phone's on 1% and about to die and you're listening, just know you can spend the rest of the day saying hashtag spam fart. And despite your boss, wife, husband, coworkers, kids staring at you with a rather quizzical eye, you'll be in the know. You'll know that something beautiful was born today at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Hey, that rhymes. All right. We're going to get going here in just a second with your questions. Going to certainly say thank you to Cooper Tires for really taking great care of us here. Uh, Justice Brothers, they are they are really fine people. And if you are a fan of motor racing history, I would strongly suggest doing just a little bit of Googling just to learn about the Justice family and all they have done on the sport, IndyCar in particular. Also, Ed Justice Jr., if you are an Instagram-er-ite, uh, a thon, Give him a follow. He is a really awesome photographer and has been forever, longer than I've been alive. And of late, Ed, Ed Justice Jr. has been flooding his Instagram account with a bunch of really cool photos that he has scanned from drag racing to just you name it. So just say give Ed a follow and let him know that you followed after listening here. He might might be tickled by that. Our pals at Bell Racing Helmets USA, uh, huge thanks to them, and also TorontoMotorsports.com. Why do we manage? Manage? It's my polished turd, friends. This is my show that's the more, the unpolished, I can't even say that right. <laughs> ah, I'm going to drink some coffee here. I should also mention I'm staring at the left side of my desk, my scanner, which is taking a poop. And a banana that I brought in here two days ago. And I should have eaten. And it's turning colors. And I actually need to throw it away because it's become kind of grody to the max. Uh, but that's just dumb, right? To bring in fine, fine fruit and then do nothing with it. <sighs> Marshall Pro, you can do better. Um, TorontoMotorsports.com. We do this little thing at the outset-ish of our Week in IndyCar listener Q&A, what I refer to as my unpolished turd, because I keep 99% of all the mistakes in here, whether I misunpronunciate words or stammer or stumble or just brain fart bad, I just keep it in because it's real. <laughs> and it, I wish I could tell you that it was unique to me. I know it's not, but that's fine. Um, we do this little thing where we give away 
something, t-shirt, a mug, some stickers, maybe all those items to whomever sent in the previous week's most popular question for the show as submitted via the one avenue that I do this little checking on, and that is the MP Podcast Facebook page. So if you like free things, subscribe to it, join it, I don't know, uh, do some sort of blood ceremony. It's really your pick. But looking back at this, also thanks to everyone who sends in their questions on a weekly basis to my at Marshall Pruitt Twitter profile and also the Reddit IndyCar group there. Our man Jeremy Davis had one for our guest last week, Marco Andretti, who said, Marco, is there any chance you run a throwback tribute paint scheme for the Nee 500 in honor of John Andretti? Uh, he also just had a really kind note about the podcast here of uh, helping to make time pass on commutes. And also said some really nice things, uh, continuing to pray for my wife. So thank you, Jeremy. You got a whole heck of a bunch of likes in your question. I don't think I got to it. Um, if I did, I've forgotten. If I didn't, I suck. Regardless, send me a direct message with your email address so I can connect you in torontomotorsports.com. And just as a thanks, we're going to send you some stuff. Also want to mention here that over the last week, had some pretty amazing <laughs> little direct messages from folks uh, saying, and I won't mention their names because it wasn't sent in for public consumption, but, you know, if they want to, I'll mention it on a future episode. But one of our listeners said, hey, my wife and I are listening to your podcast in the delivery room. How crazy is that? Why would you do that to your child, first of all? You're kind of, you know, uh, setting them back a little bit on their journey through life. But between that... Had someone else say they were getting ready, they're, I think, preparing for a colonoscopy and was listening to the podcast. Now, that seems, that's a little more apt, um, especially with the uh, the hashtag spam fart humor. It's like, you know, something painful and uncomfortable, uh, not as if childbirth, I guess we could say, is just a real breeze, but... You know, the latter seems like, yeah, that fits Pruitt. Um, but I don't know. Part of me is wants to ask y'all to start sending in what's the craziest, silliest area experience or thing you've done while listening to my little unpolished turd or any of the other shows. I'm also a little bit afraid, like, to find out, you know, um, I was trapped in a septic tank and was thinking, you know... Uh, the Grim Reaper feels like he's almost here. And what's the thing that's going to push me over the edge and put me out of my misery? What should I do? I'm going to listen to Pruitt's podcast. That is the thing that's definitely going to erase any desire for me to continue to live. I'm a little bit afraid that I'm going to get some of those, but I don't know. Uh, if you're just wanting to, uh, if you feel like it, Send me some notes because I never, I rarely, if ever, can fathom how and why folks listen to what I do here. That's not false modesty, but uh, I guess some of y'all enjoy it, which is pretty cool to know. I just also am blown away by the, you were listening in the deliver, and your wife, too, was listening to this? I found out that she was just looking for Rocky and Rosie updates, so that's great. Uh, but anyways, yeah, how crazy, right? And thank you again to everyone. I mean, you guys really do. Um, 
you bring a lot of joy to me and my wife as well. Uh, there's a question about her here that I'll save uh, what I was about to say, but y'all really do make me smile, lift me up, surprise me constantly. And, you know, uh, if there's any question as to the authenticity of that, I'll just tell you it's 1244 PM and I want to go to sleep, but I want to keep doing this even more because I enjoy it. And I appreciate you all and what you send in. So I have something to do here, uh, other than just probably get eaten by the cats. So let's get rolling here. Going to roll in the uh, new music bed, and I keep hearing from folks that you like it, so that's great. A number of you have asked, what band is it? My answer is, I have no clue. Uh, There's no real band name. It's just a rights-free music bed that I found, and I actually spent a lot of time looking for these. really depends what I'm in the mood for, but uh, it's not a situation of like it's the such and such band it's usually a person that has put it together and posted it and they just do it to earn money off that sale so wish i could tell you it was a certain band it's not just a guy or gal putting it together for your enjoyment so let's fade that music out just a little bit and go with someone who brings us sustained enjoyment who might you ask is that that would be jj gertler i think jj was last week's winner i think see i should know this but i've forgotten because i don't commit that to memory but thanks to i think gary chin uh we are keeping track now of all the winners and we will have a championship and whomever granted you know some folks are going to have to win more than once to kind of step in front of the the rest of everyone, but we will have an actual champion of the podcast of these weekly winners, and I've got some good ideas on some fun stuff to give you and probably the top three. So we might just do a podium, and but that obviously means that we need to have at least three duplicate winners, and hopefully... I don't know. Could we have someone that wins three or four times throughout the year? That that could happen. JJ might be that guy. Now, let's go to JJ first. It says, what goes into the thinking of a Robbie Buell to come back and start his own team as opposed to trying to ally with a smaller team like Carlin, where two halves might make a much more robust whole? Uh, huh. Well, as I understand it, JJ, I think... I've heard that Carlin's a leading candidate to be the team that Buell and his new partner align with. There was, if there's an award for the dude, do that over again. Press release and or announcement, it's my pal Robbie. And I know he didn't write it, but uh, the information that was shared last week was maddening. I spent altogether hours trying to piece together the information that they could have solved with one sentence. We will be partnering with an existing team and our driver will be named at a later date. Uh, 
not just that would have made at least my life really really easy because just cutting and pasting the press release hey a team has said they're going to do a thing with no information who's it with you doing it yourself you buying cars you leasing cars uh unretiring is in the lead of the little announcement here about okay so robbie buell are you unretiring i don't know there's no mention of anything drive related so that's the only thing that stood out and so on and so on and so on so it's checking with the series hey did you guys see this yeah we just saw it we don't know much about it okay uh could you check around could you let me know like does this sound real to you um and finally get a note back yeah it's real it is actually real okay great do you know who it's with no all right well let's check with the engine manufacturer hey do you know anything about this no hey do you know anything about this no awesome hey let me think of all the drivers that i know of who are not currently signed for the 500 and start calling or texting them hey are you are you with them no i do you know how to get in contact with them i just learned about it today and on and again it's just this thing where you go you know it's one thing if roger penske's team says hey we're gonna do something new and different like your mind starts spinning because a you know it's real and b you would expect this to be someone that you know you wouldn't expect it to be totally out of left field in terms of a driver maybe or whatever else but you could probably piece enough together when you get something from robbie who again i love but just out of left field uh and there's no information and seemingly everyone else you talk says i have no idea i just found out about it today as well you go Oh, brother. So finally, about four or five hours later, Robbie rang back and then filled in all the things that weren't in the little story. So that's just a little bit of background there for you, JJ. Maybe that's fun or amusing or just sad. Probably all. As for who they'd be partnering with, there aren't a lot of options. So things that I've heard, uh, there's one team that could go farther than i would expect with indy 500 entries so hmm that's interesting could buell go with them very possibly uh could they go with a carlin possibly how many others are there to really go with i don't know uh, i did speak with one team principal today who said they were asked by robbie to put together a budget i don't know six weeks ago something like that eight weeks ago and proposed a few things saying, hey, what do you guys want to do? Do you want to like become a full team? Do you want to just do this once a year? You know, do the month of May every year and that's it. You know, what are you guys looking to do? You know, would it be easier for you to buy your own car? So that way you have it. It's your own asset. And, you know, all you need to do is, is work with the team to run it for you compared to lease something from the team and pay for all kinds of stuff afterward. Just, you know, figure it out what you want to do and. That didn't end up going anywhere, but it's just interesting to know that, uh, you know, this is something that wasn't just kind of pooped out late last week onto a web page and then hoping that it would become real and folks would go, oh, well, then how can I get involved? Apparently, it's pretty real and serious. So we're just waiting to find out which team indeed is going to be the one that they partner with. Carlin, as you mentioned, I mean, that one does jump out for the 500 as a uh, program that would be pretty pretty smart um, to consider 
Because I don't think they're going to be struggling like they were last year. Uh, let's go to two questions here on the pre-race drivers meeting, the public drivers meeting that we uh, posted yesterday on racer this comes from erica anderson rosa who says mp in the ongoing penske improvement tour pit i see the driver meetings will now be public at all tracks remember a few years ago that the drivers meetings were available via live stream on the indycar app do you know if there is a plan in the works to bring that back or perhaps part of the nbc gold platform she says hashtag for me personally that would get a big thumbs up Ed Joris also adds, while the public driver's meetings is a great step forward, can you suggest another step to the appropriate staff, record those meetings and broadcast them on the track's jumbo TVs during the hour before the race starts? He says, many places that say Road America or Mid-Ohio would be tough to get to on foot from a pre-race driver's meeting. Um, so go with your last bit first, Ed. Uh, to my knowledge, very rarely do we have the race start is at two and the driver's meeting is being held, you know, up until one thirty kind of thing. Tends to be the morning of. Uh, there tends to be a pretty significant gap between when it takes place and when the race unfolds. So I don't think the getting to see it and then getting back to where your seat might be or your, your campground or whatever. I don't think that's going to be much of an issue. Uh, but similar to, well, the other thing I'll mention here too, is you say, you know, put it up on the jumbo TVs. You know, we do often have some sort of pre-race or, or, you know, support races taking place. Uh, also you tend to get, it's not uncommon to have some of the TV package type stuff, some personality features, whatever else going on, live interviews taking place. So blocking that out and airing it over that might be, that part might be tough. Going back to Erica's question, I know that in speaking with Bud Denker, who was a person who gave us the, public drivers meeting news he said one of the quick goals don't know how fast they're going to get to this erica but one of the goals is or i shouldn't say goals one of the priority items is to roll out a new indycar app i know for a fact they have received a lot of feedback saying so um you got you own it right okay you own the series and you want to do things better right okay um please make this better now so would i foresee this possibly being part of that sure i think honestly erica within the next two years i don't think anything's gonna happen that isn't filmed and live streamed and fully available so I could absolutely see this becoming part of that just because, you know, it, I'm not saying it's free. You got to pay someone to, to film. You got to pay transmissions and all kinds of fun stuff to happen. But uh, I do believe we're just going to get to a point to where very little happens. Uh, that is not made available for everyone to see uh, everywhere at all points in time. And I would have to imagine this will be part of it. Uh, Jordan Darwin, hey Jordan, says, Marshall, less than three weeks until the season opener. What question marks still remain for the 2020 IndyCar season in the Indy 500? 
He says Carlin's driver lineup, Alonzo's official 500 announcement, part-time team schedule, uh, the number two car schedule, etc. Well, uh, as I mentioned last week, and I think wrote about, we do know that Scott McLaughlin is is being prepared for as many as eight IndyCar races. So the ones that outline in the story that I posted on racer.com would be the only ones I think to consider. Um, I think dragon speed, if we're talking part-time has said the races are going to do, they have not said which driver will be in the car for all those races. We know that Ben Hanley is going to start the season at St. Petersburg. Uh, let's see. Uh, I will mention here, and I realize I'm telling you nothing. Sadly, a really interesting phone call from someone today who mentioned a driver who has never, ever, ever, ever raced an IndyCar um, as having received an inquiry from a team on the topic of part-time, just received that inquiry. Uh, Might want him to go start doing some testing with an eye to doing his first IndyCar races this year if and when i can tell you about it i will but i just tell you what i got that call and again this wasn't from like i heard it from this guy and that guy and fourth person removed this is you know the person calling was no question about the accuracy of it i just remember hanging up the phone going well damn that needs to happen now really do uh if that happens i am gonna be a happy happy monkey because yeah that would be cool um fernando alonso's indy 500 announcement as mentioned by the time you're listening to this that's already gone down the carlin driver lineup so we know max i'm overstating the obvious max chilton will be in his number 59 car on all the road and street courses there was here here's something new we can add uh yeah i don't know if this has been put in print or not worth clarifying and what i'm about to share with you without giving you names and such uh i can just tell you is a fact it's not rumor it is a fact doesn't warrant writing about though because it would just be a really strange story uh that would go that's really random uh but it's kind of perfect for the podcast so at spring training it was mentioned many times that it was believed uh, that Connor Daly would be in Chilton's 59 Chevy on the ovals, as he did last year a couple of times, and that the team was in a position of, again, hiring, uh, putting someone, placing someone into that car. Uh, I have since heard that there will not be any handing of free oval racing to anybody that indeed the person driving that taking that car over will be someone paying for the opportunity. So if I just look at what that would mean, uh, I'm not saying in theory, well, granted, I don't know his finances. I'm not saying that couldn't be Connor. But I would assume the money that he has put together to be in the Ed Carpenter racing team 
doing the road and street courses in the number 20 Chevy. I would assume that the budget required to do that has pretty much soaked up all that he had. Therefore, the concept of being hired by Carlin, which would make a lot of sense because he's very good and goes quickly, um, maybe that has been shot a little bit. uh, Because, again, from what I've heard, and this isn't specific to Connor, it's just in general, if someone's going to drive Max's car on the ovals when he is not in it, someone will be paying for that opportunity. It won't be a case of Gallagher uh, ponying up to make sure that someone's in that car when Max is not. As for the second car for the Road and Street Courses, I do know that there have been uh, ongoing talks to try and solve that puzzle. Do I think that Felipe Nazar will be in the car for St. Petersburg? Yeah, I do. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. That guy's extremely good. Haven't followed up with Felipe, though. It's a little bit enigmatic that way. Uh, This is not a soapbox moment. This is just a 30 seconds or less of sharing between friends. I don't know if anyone who has written more words in the past couple of years saying, hey, this Felipe Nazar guy, Everybody in IndyCar, you really need to take a look at him. Like, really, really, really. And it's just because I'm fortunate to see him running in sports cars uh, as a guy that covers sports cars over the past long time. So seeing this guy coming from F1, jumping into sports cars and just going straight to the front, seeing his racecraft, seeing his everything, it just stood out as like, pardon me, IMSA, but the guy's kind of wasting his talent here. So I've written more than one story about, hey, this guy, come on. And, uh, you know, uh, not as if I do that and I'm therefore owed anything. I will just mention that it is a little bit strange, though. You know, uh, when the guy seemingly, you know, can't be bothered to pick up his phone or answer his phone or respond to things. It's, uh, it's a little bit curious. So, um We'll see. I hope the guy does get into a car. Hope that he is with Carlin. They get better with him there. I'd love to see him full time. I think he's going to be phenomenal. Just a little bit weird. I love linear personalities. Whatever you are, if you're crazy bastard, I'm gonna I probably I'm gonna love you. I love crazy people. Um, whatever. I love all kinds of people. But whatever you are, man, I'd love you even more if you're that person. It's when you're just all love and hugs and kisses. And then the next thing you know, you are a ghost. And then you're all love and kisses. And then you're a ghost. Yeah, those kinds of people um, I'm not very good at or with. Uh, Let's go to Cade Fulling. Thanks for sending stuff in recently, Cade. It says, MP is Indy 500 grid. Entry list is starting to fill. Everything seems... To be up in the air about Hunkos Racing. We know that finances are a concern, considering what is happening on the IMSA side. They're selling their car, by the way. It's on racing. It's for sale on racingjunk.com, which it's a big site. It's a lot of reach. I get it. But Cadillac DPI VR for sale on racingjunk.com just doesn't jive with my head. Um, 
And he says, and things are a bit shaky at uh, best on the IndyCar side, but I think I might have the perfect solution. So my question is, could we see Hunkos form a technical alliance with another Chevy team? Cade says, Penske obviously comes to mind. Seems like a good opportunity for Hunkos to make it, uh, to make another race and a way to uh, possibly get Scott McLaughlin in the field for the 500, which I think we all want. Even more generally, do you think that some sort of technical alliance is the route that Hunkos is going to have to take to make the entry list? Well, hmm. I would say there's no chance in hell of this happening in any kind of alliance between Hunkos and Penske. Zero disrespect to my dear friend Ricardo. That's not a play the captain would make. This is a team that is small. This is a team that does not have the necessary resources. And so handing off a car, handing off some engineers, handing off a driver, I, boy, I cannot see how that would be done. And I would say it's not limited to Hunkos as well, Cade. I'd say, boy, unless, I mean, granted, if we think back to the past, in sports cars, what, there's been an alliance, I believe, between Penske Racing, talking modern stuff, Penske Racing and Wayne Taylor. I think they did a co-entry one year at the uh, 24 Hours of Daytona. Maybe a, a trusted team like that, that they've worked with, been inside, gotten a feel for. I could see that, and they're not a direct rival currently in IndyCar, but a smaller team like this, I don't think there's any way. There's no way that team is going to live up to the standards of a Penske. And Penske knows they would have to spend an inordinate amount of time and effort to get a smaller partner team up to meeting its expectations. So it'd be great for Ricardo. I just can't see how Penske would ever do that. I am concerned like you. Uh, Ricardo's been very hard to communicate with of late. We've done it by text, and it's been a lot of not much. So I'm hoping to be able to get on the phone with Ricardo and try and try and get a feel for what's going on. The underlying thing here, Cade, is overstating the obvious, but when folks don't have much to say or don't want to say things aren't looking great, they tend not to really put a lot of time into communicating that fact. So I do not hold it against Ricky for not picking up the phone going, yeah, the stuff you hear is all true. I'm not saying it is, but not a surprise. So he's been a bit elusive. It seems like there's a reason why though. And I can respect that. Let's go to quietude 38 from Reddit who asks, is Sebastian Bourdais going to have a ride at Indy? And if so, with who? Well, I know that he was really hoping to be hired by, well, he's going to break up the whole union. It was just going to be spam minus the fart. I know that he was really hoping, and I believe he was being considered by McLaren and SP for the third Indy 500 seat, but 
McLaren and Ruoff Mortgage have made that happen for Fernando. I don't know where else he's going to go after that. There's, again, a couple teams. What is the Buell sport? The Buell thing? Who is that? I don't know. Uh, There's just not a lot of folks out there looking to hire a very fast guy for the Indy 500 at this late stage of the game. So it's one or two options, maybe, but I fear that those options are going to be taken by someone writing a check. So we could have the 500 without the French fry. And I would not be super happy about that. Obviously let's go to two questions here. More comments, actually one from Steven Killsdonk a fine pedantic listener and a practiced observer, just a fine contributor as well. Referring to my response last week, I believe it was to Don Davis about the IndyCar spring training live stream. So I'm just going to share with you all uh, very quickly. So you understand my methodology, which then explains why I didn't grasp the question uh, being posed or I didn't, uh, there was some nuance in there that I didn't get. And so both Steven and a practiced observer have kindly written in to say, Hey idiot, this is what you missed. So for the live stream, having received the information from IndyCar that it would be available on IndyCar.com through their live timing and scoring, and also through their app. Well, I don't use their app. I uh, never have. Uh, I do have a great little bookmark saved, though, uh, both my Tello phone, my cell phone, and on my laptop for IndyCar timing and scoring. So I did take a look in the front page of IndyCar.com and do believe it was kind of sitting right there to access and did write about it saying, hey, these are the two places they're saying to get it. So that was my the core of my response, like, Hey, uh, I like to think I'm a little bit, you know, outside the box kind of guy and whatever. But when it comes to stuff like this, I said, Hey, you want to get it? Go these two places. Me. I went, Hey, cool. I already have one of those places saved and easy to go to. Boop. There it was. Therefore I didn't get what Don was trying to point out as a problem. And so with what Steven as shared here that I'm about to read, followed by a practiced observer. Clearly, there was something amiss, and I'm going to share this actually with the folks at Penske Entertainment if they haven't already been inundated with this. Uh, let's start off with Stephen. I'm going to drink a little sip of coffee here, uh, and we might be getting down to the, about the last I'm going to do. It's at 1.11 a.m. I'm such an idiot. Hey, Marshall, best wishes to you and Chabrell. Thank you. He says, regarding the streaming video from the CODA test, all the vid, all of the video is being streamed through the IndyCar YouTube channel. Whether viewed through the IndyCar app or the IndyCar website, those essentially served as the picture frame around the same YouTube video stream. And if someone copy and pasted the link to the video directly, it was then viewable as a YouTube page. Says the concern shown last week about the video being set to private by IndyCar 
while the test was happening is that YouTube did not notify IndyCar channel subscribers that it was happening, nor suggest it to non-subscribers who may be interested based on viewing habits. So the result is making the video public almost certainly would have significantly increased the viewership at the cost of not driving traffic to the app or the website. Now, that is the one thing that came to mind, Stephen, that, although I have not discussed this with IndyCar, that is one thing that did stand out. Uh, As someone who sees on a weekly basis the web ranking and the kind of traffic that a lot of the sites and series that either we cover or compete against happens to put up, can tell you that IndyCar.com um, is not one that is overly burdened with traffic. I had that same thought come to mind immediately as a possible reason for setting the video to private. Once you all explain this to me, so I understood what I didn't get last week. That was the first thing that popped up. Hey, uh, our advertisers, our sponsors, our everything This is a place that we tell them is an area to congregate. And for some of them, I'm sure they pay money to have their ads seen. Uh, Something, you know, we use this as our portal and hub, not YouTube. Therefore, let's drive folks to try and, frankly, just generate more interest, more knowledge about our homepage. That was a thought because that kind of strategy wouldn't surprise me if that's what they were doing. And then when I get to a practiced observer's comments here, uh, we understand why that might have been a big old dumb, dum dumb, dumb decision. So, hey, MP, elaborating on last week's question about the code of test YouTube. I almost read that as code of test tube. Uh, the code of test YouTube stream. The frustration about the YouTube stream being unlisted is that none of IndyCar's 255,000 YouTube subscribers would get a notification that a stream was airing. Yeah, that would have been the right play without a question. Uh, The heck with driving traffic to the homepage. Uh, Yeah, that, yes. Uh, Also, the stream could get the benefit of showing up in the related videos for people watching other racing videos. For contrast, anyone watching NASCAR videos was given the option of tuning in to F1 car reveals. I don't know if it was to promote the app, but it feels like IndyCar spiked the chance to get broader publicity, even if it meant even if it meant only ten to fifteen thousand live viewers, compared to the three thousand they got. Boy, well, I do know for a fact that nobody at IndyCar or Penske Entertainment listens to the podcast because they got bigger and better things to do. Um, but I will indeed pass these items on to those uh, who have asked for such things to be passed on. All right, a couple more here, and then I'm going to uh, hit the old pause button for the night. Logan Knapp. Hey, Logan. MP, totally agree with your NASCAR rant from last week. However, with seeing some of the things being tested for the new car, it almost looks like my dream of NASCAR um, touring down the road of V8 supercars. He says, how likely do you think it would be for NASCAR to add more road courses to their schedule, and would you follow it? He says, I absolutely would watch. That sequential gearbox, diffuser having, tin tops with too much power for the rear tires. 
I think that would be fun. I really do. Uh, yeah, I'd absolutely watch more of it. But I know this is the maybe, I don't know if it's a cop-out, but uh, I like the Xfinity races on road courses because they bring in the Andy Lallys and the Jack Hawksworths and the name some others, the Connor Dalys and the, they bring in real road racers. It is cool to see some of the NASCAR drivers who have become legitimately skilled at road racing at the limited number of road racing events. But if the car is going to be more suited for road racing, yeah, I would probably still rather watch skilled road racers get sideways and make them fly around Sonoma and Watkins Glen and wherever else. Because that's why I like racing. Uh, Could you imagine wanting to watch NASCAR with a bunch of drivers who aren't like really adept at oval racing? Climb in for whatever litany of oval races? You'd have a race and, you know, there'd be some things that happen, but eh, probably A, wouldn't be as good, and B... I like to see the best doing their thing, not the almost good doing their thing. So, yeah, um, I did hear a really funny story on this uh, new car topic of one team owner in a recent meeting pushing back and truly arguing over NASCAR going away from the traditional five lug nut bolt pattern to a center lock wheel and (laughs) this fairly prominent team owner saying, Oh my goodness, you know, you're killing a tradition. It's going to cost us so much money. We're going to have to change over wheels and this, and the air guns are just going to be crazy expensive. And this is in a full big team owners meeting with all the senior brass, Jim France included really going hard at man. You can't do this. You're going the wrong way. And so on and so on. And we've got all the pit crew that go over the wall and the zip, 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 zip guy and the one that pulls the tire and the one that rolls. And, you know, what happens when it's more like an indie car where you don't need, you know, 17 people helping per tire because it's this old clunky, weird lug nut. Who knows what kind of thing and who's going to glue the lug nuts in. And I mean, you know, it's a travesty kind of thing. And I heard this is again from someone who knew. Uh, <laughs> heard Logan that Mr. France told that team owner, you know what? You raise a great point just for you. We're going to include a rule that says you and only you, only your team can stick with the five bolt lug nut pattern while everyone else goes to the center lock option, which goes on and comes off the car much faster but i hear your concern in your voice and i wouldn't want to disappoint you so for you and you alone you're going to get to continue racing forever using the five lug nut wheels and as i was told that team owner um sat down and didn't say anything else so yeah They're gangster over there, man. I love it. Uh, Speaking of gangsters, the gangster 
of the weekend indycar listener q a ryan terpstra wouldn't be a show without many questions hey mp resident hog dog here trying to add a minimum of 32 pieces of flair to this week's comments and questions he says my math right that the full-time teams will supply 32 entries to the indy 500 this year he says a comment spoiler alert future indycar driver scott mclaughlin won the adelaide 500 with a second and a first place finish last weekend thank you ryan uh, the numbers that I keep hearing from the two engine suppliers tells me that we could see 34-ish to 35 cars, probably not 36. There's always that last minute, who's willing to pay for it? Are they good enough? Were we willing to stretch? But yeah, uh, 16 to 17 entries per, you know, maybe could one go to 18 both going to 18 sounds like that might be not so much of a thing. So yeah. Um, again, th- there's still a team or two that are a bit of a wild card, Ryan, as to could they go beyond what anyone expects with another entry? And I'm not talking Penske. Um, yeah, th- there's still a little bit of f- funny business going on there. Um, spoken with a driver to that have an eye on one seat that nobody knows is available uh, or could be had or could materialize. So yeah, um, would say you're not far off, man. Uh, Haiku time, Jim Kaiser, Facebook. Thank you, brother. Says need not contest it. The listener of the year is the haiku guy. Well, look at that. We're done. We are done. Championship is over. It's over to do my best or worst kenny smith impersonation did any of you happen to catch the nba all-star slam dunk competition oh my goodness uh as someone who's watched them going back to uh, dr j taking off uh from the free throw stripe yeah wow that was amazing my wife was looking at me like you're a grown-ass man what is wrong with you you should not be exerting this much energy and yelling at the tv this much but you know here i am uh last question for the night i was going to make yours jim the last but you know i couldn't because indeed the person who won last week the week before was jj gertler see my brain's working better the longer we go the person who won last week lance snyder says mpm a huge mystery science theater 3000 fan if you've never seen the show I appreciate it. I'm going to read this because you wrote it. But yes, Lance, come on, man. Uh, First episode, I was there. So, of course. He says, if you've never seen the show, it's about how Joel Robinson, who was kidnapped, put on an orbiting spacecraft called the Satellite of Love by two mad scientists who try to make him go crazy watching horrible B-movies. Joel keeps his sanity by riffing on these horrid movies with two robot companions Question is, MP, if you had to watch Driven with yourself and two IndyCar personalities and riff on it, who would they be? Lance says, hashtag me personally. I think Joseph Newgarden and Alex Rossi would fit the bill, but could also see Robin Miller in the mix as well. Uh, And then Tom Brown adds, MP, since Driven is so awful, are there any IndyCar movies you like? If nothing else, just for the racing scenes. I'll come back to that in a moment, Tom. I hope, unless I forget. Uh, Lance, boy, first of all, Miller? Eh, I don't really think so. 
that's sniping is one of Miller's fundamental personality traits. I don't know if he's ever seen the movie driven. If he has, he never talks about it. Uh, I just think he, if he did see it, he was like, that's so horrible. I, why? I just, there's no reason to ever, ever discuss it again. Or as hashtag me personally, bad movies are just like, it's the, the blood running through my veins. I just love them. And the fact that we have our own, the fact that we have driven, that's just an all timer, right? Not just racing movie, bad, like all time movie, bad, um, up there with battlefield earth. I mean, come on, come on. Um, you mentioned new garden and Rossi. And what I love about that, I now need to go find two options that aren't them because they would have been pretty much my go-to picks. Uh, Rossi has just, he is cold-blooded, like just British-minded humor and comedy, just cutting dark you know, uh, a thousand cuts type guy, new garden. He just, he's get, he gets that little twitch in his eye and he's right there as well. Yeah, I mean, truly he sees the, he is, he's an asinine whisperer. Like that guy, just, there's something where he sees it. He feels it. Uh, that is a delight, but you already chose those two. Those are probably going to be my go-to. But now that I have to pick some others, I'd say the first one is willpower. Come on, man. Right? You you wouldn't have to ply him with alcohol. Just <laughs> tell him he can curse all he wants. Just unfiltered, say it. And that right there is going to be the best trying to think of the second because you know there are a lot of great comedians in indycar but i'm trying to think of chemistry daily connor stands out right that guy is just whip whip smart and quick as can be so you know he sees the silly in everything as well so i would be very tempted to go with him and there'd be just you know everything you said would be hilarious i'm also leaning towards hinch a little bit because, you know, th- there's that. He certainly fits all that wonderfully and beautifully. Kanan, I think, would be pretty amazing. I don't know if you just heard that, but that's Rocky. Rocky's throwing in uh, his his voice here for this. Um, I'd probably go with power. I'd go power and daily. Because those, I mean, we would just be crying, laughing. We would have to stop the movie so many times. Um, and I got to admit, Lance, I hate to say, I know you're the most recent winner. Therefore, that you're a man of high esteem in our world. I think my two guys kick your two guys' ass. So I do apologize. I did think of New Garden and Brassi first. But then after thinking about it, actually, that's those are two bad choices. My guys rock. Um 
All right. So since this is my last, and Tom, I did say I was going to get to yours, and I will in just a sec. Since this is my last question for the night, I'll mention, and it might not happen, so hopefully I'm not setting myself up here, what you've mentioned as a Mystery Science Theater 3000-type scenario with the movie Driven, that is exactly what I am trying to put together as a charity function during the month of May. I've conceptualized it. I've thrown it out to one or two people. I think it could happen. There's a lot that would still need to happen for it to be pulled off. But this is actually exactly what I want to do, is have some folks just ripping this thing to shreds for people's amusement and hopefully to uh, to raise a couple dollars because if we're going to get together and do something for fun, we may as well you know make someone's life better for it as well. So that's my goal. That is absolutely my goal. So I hope we can do this exact thing, Lance. Um, as for Tom, any IndyCar movies that I like uh, winning? I mean, some of the footage there is good. I could never get over Paul Newman's, the name they gave him, Frank Capua. I know it's a really weird, weird hang up, but I just remember hearing that when I saw it first and was like, huh? That's such a bizarre, distracting name. It. I, I spent time, the moment I heard it, just going off in my head like, Capua? What? Huh? I've never heard that before. I've never heard it since. Is he Hawaiian? I don't know. What? Um, yeah. So some of the scenes there, I recall being good. Uh, what else? Yeah, like movie, movie, not documentary, but like some kind of dramatic, you know, we're going to make something up and then film it type thing. Uh, yeah, I, so another admission, my wife loves old movies, black and white, 20s 30s you know like she can't get enough of those uh i struggle friends i know that there's some air quote great old movies indycar even indy 500 centric that are old you know black and white and i don't know uh i just can't get into it so um yeah i'm trying to think of you know, this is my unpolished turd, so I'm just going to do it. Um, there was a, I think it was ABC. What was it, around 1991, I think? Um, there was an attempt to make a IndyCar weekly drama. I believe it starred Billy Campbell, who was in the movie Rocket Man, The Rocketeer. That's what it was, like an old-timey comic book brought forward. Rocketeer. And he might have been in some other things. I'm forgetting what. Um, was he in Jag? That that horrible... No, that was another guy. Anyways, um, I forget the name of the TV show. I think it only aired, it was a pilot, and it didn't get picked up after that. I taped it. I have it. I'm forgetting the name of it. It's driving me mad. But it was this weird, it's actually, it's kind of a little bit of a forerunner, not too different from Driven, you know, the driver's type trying to get in and old, anyways, trying to 
get in the car somehow. Um, I forget the name of the movie, the winning something, the checkered flag. That's what it was or checkered flag. Sorry. You hear me typing. Cause I'm just having to do this at this hour. Uh, I am DB. Tell me checkered flag, 1991. And I have this on videotape. I might've even converted it to digital. They live fast. They drive faster. Checkered flag. Oh, this is the best. Um, so what they did is, I guess they rented or borrowed or whatever they did, got a hold of the um, Gallus Craco transporters and two cars from the 1990 season. That would have been Allenser Jr. and Bobby Rahal. So because they didn't want to, I guess, directly copy them, we changed the name from Gallus, Rick Gallus, co-owner, G-A-L-L-E-S, to Galax, traded that S out for an X. Um, and then Craco, Maury Cranes, K-R-A-I-N-E-S, owner of the Craco, K-R-A-C-O, radios, right? Uh, buy these Craco little tuner radios to Put in your car, go to uh, some sort of stereo shop and put in whatever Craco radio you might want in your car. That's a thing we actually used to do back in the day. And the Cracos were just shit. But, you know, they sold a lot of them. Enough for him to fund racing, IndyCar racing teams. Uh, so the Gallus Craco racing team for checkered flag was changed to Galax Crayo. K-R-A-E-O. I think they just took the C out. It's just one of those things where it was like, it's almost as good as Kapua. Crayo? What? Anyways, um, I just remember seeing the ad for this. Hey, coming to ABC and whatever, the checkered flag and IndyCar zooming by. I'm like, oh, my God. So I'm like 19 years old, and this is the best thing ever because the sport I love and want to work in, like it's on an actual network TV, and it's a drama or something. Who knows? So I don't know if I was able to watch it live. Might have been at a race, you know, turning wrenches, doing whatever. Um, but I do remember coming home and watching it. And friends, we might have to do a checkered flag viewing as well because the plot is not as bad as driven. That took work. Like really, that was no mistake. That wasn't just oh a bunch of bad writing that didn't that just occurred out of nowhere. This really took work to make it that bad. And they succeeded. Checkered flag isn't that bad. But it's just implausible. Uh, there's the drivers that go out somewhere in Tumbleweed Raceway. I forget. It looked like it was on the old road course at Phoenix International Raceway. I might be forgetting. It might have been uh, Firebird. I don't remember. It's been long enough. But they're running around, and I genuinely think, like, a tumbleweed came across the track, and one of the drivers hit it and crashed and spun and blew up and you know all that kind of thing and all of a sudden they had to find a driver and 
because, you know, hitting a tumbleweed that weighs 11 ounces, you know, naturally it's going to cause calamity. Um, there was one part in the race where I think it was the Billy Campbell guy. Um, the car was having problems and it was, I forget what he's, the driver said he was slipping out of gear or it's something. And he figured, Oh, the clutch is overheating. The clutch is overheating. I got an idea. Jack up the back of the car. This is on pit lane during the race. And so they jack up the car and the, again, kind of hero, want to be a mechanic guy, but wants to be a driver. Is he going to get a shot? You know, whatever. Uh, Dives under the car and he saves the day because he thinks, well, the clutch is overheating. If only we could cool it down, that'll get the car back in the race and we could go win the Phoenix 200. So he's grabs a fire extinguisher and dives beneath the car and sprays it onto the clutch and big plumes of white smoke and all that. And it works. It cools down the clutch and they drop the car and off he goes and it can shift and everything's good. And I don't remember the ending. I assume he won the race, but there you go. So even at 19, I just remembered thinking, so you're telling me that the clutch is overheating. It's extremely hot. And if you could make it cooler, then you could solve the problem and get back in the race and the clutch would work. Dear listeners of the Weekend Sports Cars Listener Q&A, are any of you familiar with a fire extinguisher that actually makes something cold? <laughs> I just remember watching this on videotape or whatever going, what the F are you? What? What? Huh? You just sprayed something that's either a powder that stops the flame from being flamey or who knows if it was halon like they use in the onboard fire systems that, you know, eliminates, kills the oxygen and therefore air quote turns off the fire um fire extinguishers don't make things cold but somehow if you just watch it and you go yeah sure he sprayed a fire extinguisher on the overheating clutch and it cooled it down it was that kind of thing where folks had the writers again clearly know nothing about racing that's what they came up with um oh boy this is uh is just an achievement in shit, but I mean, it was an achievement nonetheless in IndyCar cinema television graffiti. Oh boy, the checkered flag. It, they only showed it once. It was so good they didn't need a second. Oh boy. Uh, so that's Tom. That's the only thing that comes to mind. Maybe there are other air quote IndyCar movies I should watch it what I think Bobby Deerfield no isn't that Formula One I don't know my brain kind of runs a lot of these things together uh, one of the pleasures of having been on the planet for a little while not everything stands out as clearly as it once did uh, but hey if you got ideas on other IndyCar type movies or things that should be watched drop me a note let me know and you know what 
I'm going to say farewell for this evening. It is 1.40 a.m. I still haven't gotten the text from my wife saying she's done, but that just tells me she's truly, truly soaking and feeling better. So thank you. I lied. Look at that. It truly just popped up at 1.40. Oh, look, that's my baby. All right. Uh, thank you uh, for getting this far. I'll be back maybe tomorrow, and uh, we're going to keep going, starting with uh, Greg Fetchick's question, which I love. And uh, y'all sent in a a good amount of questions this week, so we're going to get to as many as we can before my face falls off. I'll speak to you tomorrow. And we are back. It is 5.43 p.m. on a Tuesday. Y'all learn that good old fast freaking Fernando and spam fart. (laughs) It's real. It's happening. I'm such a happy, stupid boy. So continuing here and overnight, y'all sent in a fair number of new questions as well. Thanks to Tim Falkowitz for putting all those together for me. And at least for where I left off last night. I was thinking, all right, cool. You know, took a little over an hour to get that part done. Uh, You know, nothing too crazy. Shouldn't be super long to knock this out tomorrow. Well, and then I guess not being too smart, I didn't take into account the fact that y'all would want to throw in questions about Fernando. So uh, those aren't necessarily hitting up here first, but they're coming. But we're going to start off with our pal Greg Fetchick. Says, Marshall, if you had to guess, how many times have the words Fernando Fred or Lonzo appeared on the racer.com website, neither an article or in questions from your readers. I have an answer for that. 11 billion, Greg, uh, that's a verified internet number. 11 billion. Uh, <laughs> just a general one here, obviously not specifically on the spam fart news, but interesting reading today. Friends, Not the stories, but the reaction to the stories. They definitely fall into two distinct categories. Seems that, at least for what I've found, there's been nothing in the lukewarm category. It's either excellent, amazing, yay, fantastic, and so on, or, man, I'm over it. Okay, who gives a fart? Uh, Hey, so. Who gives a spam fart? I'm I'm just such a boy. Uh, Yeah. So, again, there's the, oh, I love that guy. It's amazing. And then there's the, uh, whatever, who cares? And I don't know. Maybe maybe it's deserved. I don't know. I like the guy. I think he's an amazing race car driver. I think he only adds to the 500. Maybe... We just have the actual going around in circles to talk about this year, not the, oh, so the Three Stooges have decided to field an entry, have they? Um, Yeah, the uh, the law firm of Hook, Line, and Sinker will not be required to run the car this year, Greg, hopefully. Uh, And hopefully we don't get to 12, but 11 billion seems like more than enough. Uh, Our man Kevin Perez Federico says MP with Roger Penske in charge of the series has he weighed in on his plans for the next chassis and power unit formula Uh, modify his preference compared to the old regime. Well, 
Kevin, haven't heard a single thing from Roger on, quote, his plans, because I don't believe he has plans for the next chassis or engine power unit formula. Only thing I've heard when he's been asked about this in general, what do you think? Any changes to it has been to stand directly behind those at IndyCar who've come up with a formula that was announced. So I would not foresee Roger barging in and changing anything here because that's a really good way to get a lot of people to give you the middle finger and quit. So Roger, all that I've heard is he's doing what a new owner should do, which is support and listen. Could there be tweaks? I don't know, but this would not be the time for him to barge in. Now let's go to a couple of kind folks here with some fun questions. Jamin Tuttle and also Chris Hoffman. Jamin says, hey, MP, you obviously don't know how much traveling you're going to do this year, but you have any live podcasts in the planning stages yet? He says, you do a pretty effective job from home, but your listeners seeing you at the track means things are better at home, and that's what we're all praying for. And Chris Hoffman says, Marshall, when do you think we'll see you at an IndyCar race this year? Well, thanks, y'all. My wish and goal which makes sense would be to say st petersburg i kind of sort of checked out from that being a possibility so my best guess because it's really about all we can do right now which is guess long beach is what i've been telling folks is most expected Uh, my wife as i continue to say is making amazing progress and is more and more independent every week, able to do more things herself, or if not all of something, stages of being able to do something on her own without my assistance from morning until night. Not all the way there yet, and there's no exact calendar timeline we can say, and on this date, everything's going to be good. You can get on a plane and you're lady is all set at home that's the only part that makes it hard to plan on podcasts and extracurricular activities at the track heck getting to the track so as it is right now i think i'm going to end up missing the indycar season opener which is a little crazy because that hasn't happened and i don't know again i don't know uh missed the rolex 24 daytona this year for the first time in you know 10 or 15 years I'm going to have to miss Sebring, I believe, which will be the first time in, boy, 17, 18, I don't know, a really long time. Uh, but that's just the reality. So we're, we are making, like seriously, very positive progress. Uh, we had a great appointment today and uh, something done that I think is only going to help. Uh, but the bottom line is, friends, I just don't know. At least in the back of my head, the back of my balding head. Although I have my hair is getting really long in the back, I gotta cut that because I'm looking a bit like uh, I don't know what. It's not mullet time by any means, but it's just a little unseemly. Indie GP, I think for sure we'll look to do something. We did one last year on the Cooper Tire stage, which seemed to be pretty popular. It was really cold, but it was still we had a pretty big turnout. And I want to do something for the Indy 500. I think 
what we might end up doing is something at the memorabilia show. Been talking about that with my friends and our partners at TorontoMotorsports.com. Uh, so we've got th- two or three tables rented there. And so, yeah, I think myself, Miller, and who knows who else. But I think we might do something there. It's not really a public gathering type place, but who knows. Uh, maybe we can accommodate some folks there. We might even be able to do it live, broadcast on uh, Podbean and whatever else we can think of. Other than that, not sure. Just need to put some thought into that at the old Speedway once the 500 portion of the event gets going. Long Beach, we wanted to do something last year. Logistically, it not work out good. But I'm going to think on that as well. If I can, I'm going to do a live podcast, friends, everywhere I go. Whether it's IMSA or IndyCar or vintage, covering vintage events, you name it. Uh, if I can, try and put one on because honestly, I mean, we just go to the track and we love the cars and we talk about it and we have friends who come and sit in and let me make fun of them, whether it's drivers or managers or engineers or whoever and legends of the past. And that's just kind of becoming the deal. So I will let you all know for sure when uh, I'm set to head out and when we're going to have some live shows. And I also remember that I have a lot of live shows we've captured that I need to post. <laughs> I think the oldest one being Sonoma 2018. Uh, yeah, maybe I should get that done, you idiot. Uh, let's see, where are we going to go next? We're going to go to Justin Lee Sembler. Says, MP, you spoke glowingly of your wife's support of you when you decided to start the podcast. I believe you shared this during the episode with James Hinchcliffe. My question for you is this. How often does Shabrell listen to your show? And does she offer feedback? If she does, is she brutally honest or lovingly constructive? Or sometimes both. The two don't have to be mutually exclusive. Justin says, hashtag me personally. I enjoy the format of the show, and I wish I could listen more. Closes with hashtag never polish the turd. <laughs> ah, I might have to add that to the growing hashtag list on the t-shirt that we got going now. So I asked my dear wife about this last night because she hears the recordings taking place quite often. So she said, well, I don't honestly listen to many because I kind of hear a lot of it, if not the vast majority of it. She also said that she used to listen to the podcast at work uh, to help pass the time. So I'm like, well, that's interesting. Uh, beyond that, she doesn't really listen. And I think that's okay, right? Uh, she loves me. She loves what I do and the fact that I love racing. She's come to motor races with me. Uh, she supported me at races that I've run with my own team in the past. She attended the 2015 Indy 5, I'm sorry, 2005 Indy 500 with me uh, when I was running an Infinity Pro Series team. Uh, so she was there for that. So she's, you know, she's been to Laguna Seca back one of the earliest things we did when we were dating i don't know maybe actually i'm not exactly I, i'd be lying if i said i knew exactly when but i think it was 2003 cart spring training at laguna seca we went down there and if i'm forgetting that they transitioned the name champ car by then then that's on me but uh we went down there and had a good old time and she seemed to enjoy it and we climbed all over the 
hills and walked around. I had a great time. So, you know, she's she is my ride or die and loves and supports me with everything that I do, including starting this crazy career on the media side. So, yeah, uh, but I wouldn't expect her to listen to all the hours of podcast silliness that I crank out per week because she has better things to do. She has more important things to do in her recovery. And keep this in mind. When I'm not speaking into this microphone, she gets me all the rest of the time, which we can agree it's enough. <laughs> it is enough. I would actually probably consider a psycho eval if she was listening to the podcast when she wasn't getting me 24 hours a day. So I think it's the right percentage, Justin. And thank you for asking, my man. Uh, Mike Stoop says, MP, I watched the recent Formula E race in Mexico. And while I know the all-electric formula is the key attraction to the manufacturers, how open is it? I know the chassis is spec, but how much are they allowed to play with the power plant? Any lessons any car can learn from Formula E? Well, it was a spec thing for a good long while, Mike. Uh, I believe Williams was in charge of producing the spec power unit, but this is something that has actually gone to the manufacturers. So it's in their hands. I know that you know, one of the big changes was, I think it was Nissan had a dual motor type arrangement going and that was banned coming into the most recent season. So, yeah, everything that I know, unless I've forgotten things, uh, each manufacturer is actually responsible for doing their own thing, finally. So, there. And if I'm wrong, please tell me different. going to go to John MLTX from Reddit. says, hello, Marshall. Lo- long-time reader, first-time question asker. I have a bit of an odd one. Let's say someone with a nefarious streak decides to purchase a powerful handheld radio for use as a race scanner, but decides to partake in some shenanigans. They set their radio to the race control feed, press transmit, and say, yellow, 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 full course caution. What would happen? Is there anything in place that prevents people from using such devices from transmitting on official IndyCar frequencies? Also asks what sort of chaos might ensue from some random idiot trying to call for a full course caution themselves. Curious to hear your thoughts and learn a bit more about how radio works at the tracks. So when I read this, John, my first thought was, I hope I'm not telling you how to do this. I hope this isn't the Trojan horse question of, so if I wanted to rob a bank, what what would be some of the first steps that you might do to make sure you don't get caught? Uh, Kidding aside, John. I reached out to a good guy by the name of Kyle Novak, IndyCar's race director, and posed the question to him. And there's nothing to directly quote other than saying the uh, their channels are digitally encrypted, uh, and that's really meant to keep folks from monkeying with things in ways that they shouldn't. I know that they have a backup radio system. Uh, in case something fails with the first, they also have a direct text message SMS system from race control down to the teams on the good old pit lane. So this is a easy way as well for IndyCar to communicate directly and instantly with pit lane. 
So if by chance all the radios explode in race control, they would, in theory, internet connection uh, functioning, be able to send an immediate text to all teams. And that is something that the teams are on top of at all times. Uh, There's a lot of back and forth communication going on the entire event. Uh, Not necessarily straight to Kyle. There's a number of support staff there, but... You know, one team will say, hey, uh, looks like the team next to us did something that they shouldn't. Can you look into that and get back or whatever? Got a question about something. So that I would say after the redundant radio system they might use, there's just that. And I believe that as well is uh, something that is uh, encrypted in some way, shape or form. So I think that covers off those questions. I don't I think they've anticipated this mentioned that in the very first day of running at the indianapolis motor speedway in 1997 our little thomas knapp motorsports general racing team with greg ray uh we had rented radios from man i'm forgetting who but uh the guy was pretty well known for taking care of the majority of irl teams and what we thought was not encrypted, not any of that, but just, you know, kind of safe to work with. Uh, We found out that no, indeed, there was someone, was it you, sitting in the grandstand somewhere who got our frequency and was doing exactly the kind of things that you mentioned. Pit, pit, pit! Just, and just going on and being, frankly, the world's biggest douchebag. And you know, we're just begging for the guy. Please tell us where you are. Well, we will genuinely stop running and come to wherever you are, and we can have a conversation. And the guy is taunting us and so on and so forth. And we basically couldn't run um, because for the reasons you might anticipate, not just safety. Hey, a car's crashed and turned to slow down. But what you don't need is a guy who's, you know, turning his first laps in an IndyCar at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, having some rogue element with the ability to yell in their ear, shout in their ear, distract them, say all kinds of things. Um, So, yeah, uh, it was really weird, frankly. (laughs) It was really weird, John, because it wasn't funny. Hey, Pruitt, you fat ass. Hey, so-and-so, you know, eat a hamburger, Jesus, whatever. It wasn't like the, oh, ha, ha, he, he. It was truly this, I'm just going to try and disrupt everything and keep you from being able to do your job. And, yeah, I will admit that I really wish I'd seen where that person was or who that person was because police would have been called. Uh, So there you go. Doesn't sound like that's going to be a concern, though, for IndyCar. Daniel Ingleton says, Marshall, going into the season, lots of the conversation has been around Penske and Andretti, and their main driver is Newgarden, Rossi, and Herta is the main title protagonist, but very little chat surrounding the five-time champ, Scott Dixon. Is there any reason for this? Um, does his under the radar personality lead him being lead him to being left out in certain spheres of discussion? And is he the most underrated or appreciated? One of the most underrated or appreciated drivers in the history of IndyCar. Uh, 
I always have to step back from this kind of stuff, Daniel, and realize that the things you might see or not see, I might see or not see, doesn't mean that's actually representative of the world or a full topic. It just means that if you, by chance, are seeing a lot of folks talking about Newgarden Rossi Herta as title protagonists and not a lot about Dixon, it doesn't mean that folks aren't saying that. It just means that maybe... That isn't the thing that's jumping out. Uh, I would say there's a bit of a thing that happens where it's the old Mike Tyson thing, right? Uh, After the guy knocked out a hundred people in a row in the first round, there really stopped being a conversation of, Hey, do you think Tyson can win tonight? Uh, Obviously, there was a point in time where that stopped, but even when he got knocked out by Buster Douglas, there was no, like, boy, we really think Buster's going to get him tonight. No. Mike Tyson, invincible, and until someone proves otherwise, you go into each heavyweight match expecting Tyson to just mollywop whoever's across from him. I'd say when you've got a guy in Dixie who's entering year 18 or 19 or whatever it is and has won five titles, I don't know if you really have to. I don't know if that is needed. I think it's a little bit like the the Tyson dynamic, where if you've been around long enough, seen him, understand him, uh, know the power of the organization, I don't think you really need to say, oh, I wonder if Dixon could get one this year. It's He's always a threat. He's always there. So I, the underrated side, Daniel, I would say underappreciated for sure. Uh, he's someone whose talent is not like a Mario Andretti or AJ Foyt where they were living legends while they were achieving amazing things. Dixie, unfortunately, is not that is not regarded in that way. That is sad. As for underrated, uh, I don't think we could ever accuse that uh, scenario happening. Uh, I believe every driver that has competed against him, even his teammates, you know, Dario Franchitti is not lacking in ego. Uh, not, that's not a negative. I mean, he's earned uh, his, his self-belief and understanding where he stands in the sport. You know, that guy looks at Dixon like he's just from outer space. Like, I don't even understand how this guy is this good. So I think you just might be seeing something, Daniel, where the younger, the shinier, the newer, the object, of course, that's going to be the subject of fascination. The guy that's done it more than almost anybody ever and is in the twilight of his career, I can understand why he would not be necessarily thrown into, oh my gosh, is this going to be Scott Dixon's year? Because there's, I think, just an expectation that if the guy shows up to compete in an IndyCar season, (laughs) he uh, is one that you should be absolutely just considering to be a threat for the championship. And just to because numbers do help, numbers do matter. Uh, every year since 2006, Dixon has finished inside the top four in the standings. Barring one year, 
2016. Even then, won two races that year. But the guy, I guess to go even farther, uh, if you go back to 2006, um, 2007, you know, fourth, just talking finishing position in the championship, fourth, second, first, second, third, 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 first, third, first, sixth, third, first. Last year, oh my goodness, he fell apart. He finished fourth. <laughs> uh, won two races, and the number of second places, it's just ridiculous. So if you look at last year with 17 races, you want to know how competitive IndyCar is. Dixon was on the podium out of those 17 races. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times out of 17 races this man was on the podium had one two three four five six second places two wins the rest obviously thirds and that was still only good enough for fourth last quick item to mention felix rosenquist was really spectacular last year as a rookie one rookie of the year let's not pretend though that felix was contributing to the overall uptick of the team the entire time certainly as the year progressed but yet again dixon was kind of sort of in a one-man championship fight for the vast majority of the season in terms of getting help from a teammate making the car faster team better having a wingman so you know going up against a three-car penske team four cars from andretti uh, dixon being more or less solo guy finishing fourth at 38 years old or whatever. Uh, yeah, I like his chances in a three-car team this year with Rosenquist now really, truly ready to, uh, to to help in this overall endeavor. Let's go to I Forgot My Password. Okay, from Reddit. Hey, MP, you mentioned recently Bud Denker saying that the drivers' meetings will be public at tracks this year. Inspired by that news, I went to the website for Barber, my most local track, to see the weekend schedule. Glory of all glories. It has been recently updated with track activity. It says, I started typing this question with a grumpy complaint, but it ends up with just a question. What all goes into putting together an event calendar when the series dates are determined months in advance, and what all delays it? Well, I think it's just a lot of negotiations. Frankly, uh, we know that at many events with IndyCar, we're going to have the Road to Indy, but not all. We have the Global MX-5 Cup, little sports car series that IndyCar sanctions. So you have those to factor in. Then you have some of the outliers. Could IMSA be on the calendar? They are twice this year. Trans Am, they're going to be at some of the races. There will be Vintage, uh, our pal pals of the vintage indie registry will be at a race or two and so on and so forth um i would say you factor in those things you throw in that at times uh, the local tracks might want to have something of their own right could be a concert could be a who knows what i think that's just a lot of the back and forth honestly i think you have the the bigger series the ones that announce their calendars well in advance those are the easy ones to pencil in the things that I do for the bigger races of the year for racer magazine, I put a racer.com. I put together the resource guide, right? Here is the link to timing and scoring. And here's the entry list. And here's this, that, and the other. It's always just really fascinating for me to see how things evolve because for the 24 hours a day tone of the Rolex 24, for example, 
all I did was open up my 2019 resource guide and update all of the links to whatever the current ones might be and then update the schedule. And it's always fun to see how year to year the changes. If I remember correctly, I think more than half of the practice sessions and on-track activity leading up to the race compared to 2019 started between 10 and 15 minutes earlier and ended 10 or 15 minutes earlier. Why? I don't know. (laughs) I couldn't tell you. But someone said, hey, all right, so we got the schedule from last year, and, you know, it seemed to work. We got cars on track, and people showed up, and they televised, hey, it worked. What are we going to do this year? Well, all right, how many series do we have coming? Any changes? Uh, What are their needs? Uh, is Is this a series that has some amateur drivers where we might have an extra session for the amateurs only for 15 minutes before the pros are let out onto the track? I know I'm talking sports cars primarily, but I just find it interesting where you go, hey, a lot of these things, maybe to your point, are kind of the same year to year. You know, you kind of know for the most part who all is going to be at this race, at that race, uh, all the different support series. I just find it interesting where all of a sudden, like, hey, everything's going to get backed up 15 minutes. Why? Couldn't tell you, but that's the thing they're doing this year. I would assume that that's really no different in terms of the type of considerations and the delays scheduling wise publishing these things to a good old website um might be going on another thing just to close here uh i i look at some racetrack websites as well from time to time and i can tell you that i assume they have full-time digital people that are on top of stuff and post new developments when they happen. But I can tell you that that does not always happen. I can tell you for sure that there are times where it's like, oh boy, well, I don't know if someone's on vacation or if it was a temp or someone quit or they forgot the password. Um, I don't know, but I can tell you that I tend to find this information first on a racing series website as for the schedule for the event than I often do at the, uh, the from the tracks themselves. I've right, got a couple of questions here stacked together from Joseki 100. I think we did that last week too, and I greatly appreciate it. And before I get to those, even though it is only 6.13 p.m., I need some coffee. Now I can tell you, a uh, beautiful warm day here in the Bay Area. I hope that doesn't piss you off if you are freezing and just shivering all day long. And there's a, just a beautiful burnt orange sunset that's almost complete looking out on uh, the hills of the peninsula, looking out here from the East Bay where my wife and I live, right across from the hospital that we live uh, next to. Uh, intentionally, uh, but looking out on the hills, the uh, peninsula where I was born, in just about 10, 15 minutes on the other side of those hills, you have the beautiful Pacific Ocean. That, if I could just tell you why, I am a glass half full, happy guy. Pretty much the vast majority of my waking hours, it comes from that. It comes from, I mean, you could say environment and parents and all kinds of things, you know, nice middle-class family. Dad was a mechanic, owned his own shop, etc. But 
tell you, just growing up here with the beauty that there is and be and having the ocean nearby, having trees and redwoods and just, I'm telling you, if you know anybody born and raised in the Bay Area who was not dealt with serious poverty or adversity with their family, if you just say you, know, you didn't have many, if any, struggles growing up, and they're grumpy or they're dicks or a-holes or otherwise, there's something pretty darn wrong because I just look out the window here and everything inside of me just goes, oh. I'm smiling, friends. And you say, but doesn't it cost a lot to live there? Yes, yes. I only know that, though, right? It's the only thing I've ever known. But the line I've been given, folks, for 20 or 30 years is the uh, the cost of living is directly equitable to the quality of living. So there you go. I guess we'd probably have a mansion if we lived in Idaho. But I don't need a mansion. I need to be happy so here we are um all right little uh little non-sequitur aside let's go to joe Secchi who says hello mp i hope everything's all right at home i never commented or shared a thought on your personal situation but today i feel like it's the right time in the past years i've spent my life aiding a dear one fighting terminal lung cancer and at the end of last year our fight ended it wasn't the outcome we desired, but we must carry on. Now that my own life is sadly a lot easier, I often find myself thinking about you and your wife, and I really wish you all the best for your future. That's really sweet. Uh, truly. <clears throat> That's my greatest fear. Um, lost my father, by the way, to terminal lung cancer. Uh, but that's my greatest fear. And I'm just sharing this with you here. I really don't want to read about it anywhere else because this is between us. But that's my greatest fear. That's the fear I have to keep under control at all times. And I'm not someone that lives in fear. But in this, what is now, what, 18, 19 month fight, um, I don't want to be married to anyone else. I, you know, truly, I look across at her, whether it's in bed whether it's we're sitting on the couch, if we're somewhere, she's sitting in the passenger seat, going to an appointment. Like, that woman is everything to me. And not because I don't have a life of my own. You all know I've got too much of a life of my own. Uh, between what I do on the road, reporting, talking into a camera, talking into a microphone, writing words, doing the podcast, doing photography and video, and blah, 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 blah trying to do some things to help some others when I can't like, you know, my life is full. Uh, but she's the engine. <laughs> she is the engine behind all of it. Uh, she's the thing that when I wake up in the morning and she's still asleep, uh, when I get up, like truly no joke with her there, everything's all right. Everything is good. I know that I have all the love, all the support, all the everything. My number one fan and best friend and lover and everything. Like, that's the thing that launches me 
out the bedroom door every morning and that even you know while she's just asleep that's everything she represents and i've never i've never had an interest in another woman i have no desire nothing but her so the fact that we are continuing to fight as you had to uh, a fight a disease if not a disease that is kicked our ass at times knowing that you've had to aid a loved one like that stuff i don't care about that not for you for me you know the fact that i'm not going to races i don't care truly of course it bothers me i of course i want to be there but that's when everything's all right when everything's good and i can go do that it feels strange but you might have heard me say before uh five ten twenty years from now i won't be talking about oh man boy sure wish i was able to go to iowa but i couldn't like who gives a fart i've been there plenty of times uh, it's this stuff that is important so yeah uh that's the only fear i have though uh and it 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 is hard at times to keep it from attacking uh when it when it lands and sometimes it's multiple times per day Sometimes it's once a week. I don't know. I have to stop it. It is, uh, it is, frankly, it is like a cancer. Cancer of the mind, cancer of the spirit, a lack of faith. So I feel for you having been through this. Genuinely feel for you having been through this. And I don't want to join you. Nor does my wife. So let's get to your questions. Sorry, we're meandering all over the place. And this is indeed my polished turd of a show. Uh, coming back to the more enjoyable topic of IndyCar, I have a bunch of questions. The Citroen, I wish that was Patron. Wouldn't that be cool? The uh, Citroen Buell Autosport announcement, uh, their intent of entering the Indy GP and the Indy 500 this year. Do you know how realistic this is? Uh, and a couple of other items here. Um, asking, is it a real thing? I continue to wait on more news. I did mention earlier in the show that uh, I am told that it is indeed very, very real. I just want to find out a little bit more. And when I spoke with Robbie, he was in not saying too much mode. And I appreciate his return call. It did help. I just want to know a little bit more. Uh, Are there sponsors? Is this just Mr. Citrone? loving racing and spending money to be involved. Uh, I don't think they have an interest in doing more than the month of May, uh, this year, next year, and so on. But again, I don't know what uh, what they might have in mind, bigger picture. So maybe uh, Robbie said there'll be more news this week, so that'd be great. But maybe I need to have Robbie on the podcast. There you go, you dummy. I need to do that. Uh, let's see. What is the team that impressed you the most at the Coda Spring training? And what is the team that came out the worst, assuming the test was representative uh, at all? And there were, quote, winners and losers. Huh, that's a great question. I'd say in the win column, outside of the expected, right? Uh, we expect Andretti to be quick. We expect Penske and so on. Uh, I would say the Aero McLaren SP folks were... Uh, 
better than expected, having to come together for the first time uh, after retooling themselves a bit. Uh, that impressed me. Um, I, I mean, there were a number of impressive things. The Foyt team, obviously, let me run down the list. I don't think that there were any major team-wide disappointments. I think what we might have just seen was differences within teams, right? If we look at the A.J. Foyt outfit, we know that Bourdais, in mixed conditions, was a freaking rocket. We know that Charlie Kimball, in the sister car, which he was in all day long, whereas Seb got a, you know about two hours total in the car uh, on the one, uh, the one full day running that everybody got, we know that Charlie was, frankly, nowhere. Uh, I thought would have been better than that. But uh, working with his engineer, Daniele, who is highly rated and they all love, but, you know, uh, that surprised me, for example. I didn't expect Charlie to be right on Seb's proverbial exhaust pipe, but I didn't expect the gap to be that big. I'm trying to think of some other other things that jumped out that we might not have discussed. Obviously, Scotty McLaughlin was a, holy, what is going on here? Kind of amazing thing. Uh, but let me try and think about who else jumped out, or not, I shouldn't say who else, but just some of the observances, maybe, uh, that really, you know, if we're thinking trend setting, maybe that's the best way to put it. Trend setting, things we might use to predict uh, for the upcoming season. Huh. Would say that I was maybe a little bit, little bit surprised that Marcus Erickson wasn't faster. I realize that we can say a lot of new things, new teams, new engineer, new this, new that. Uh, get all that stuff. I was expecting a bit of a bigger punch from him. That, I think, would be fair to say. Just a test. Did he get out and get a proper you know, new tire run after the sequence of you know three or four red flags in a row to close the day? I don't know. I'm guessing he didn't. But um, I do know that Marcus didn't jump out to me as holy cow look at that the the move to ganassi is really being represented right away in a positive manner uh what else what else what else say maybe the one team that again having to use some caveats don't think maybe graham got a red tire run um can't really say about sato because my brain is not remembering but I think the Rahal team might be the only one that really stands out collectively that felt like, hmm, I know you, you winning spring training doesn't equate to championship, but maybe it felt like they were a little bit more adrift than I expected. So I'd say that's probably the one that jumps out as, huh, uh, not so sure about that. And the other, other one as well might have been the Ed Carpenter Racing Team. Um, I just, I can tell you, I did not expect to see Renus 18th. Uh, he turned, you know, uh, what I think the most laps of anybody and you could throw in all the stuff. He's a rookie. He's a, well, look, man, he has more, had more mileage in an Indy car than Scott McLaughlin did. Uh, and Oliver Askew, uh, and Alex Pelu. Uh, so, you know, I'd maybe say the ECR team as well as one that I, thought we were going to see come out of the gate punching a little bit harder all right let's get to the rest of your other questions here 
Uh, no disrespect to any of the previous drivers, but after the almost official news of Alonzo to spam uh, and the subsequent spam fart induced <laughs> euphoria, I couldn't help but feel like an award Askew Alonzo lineup is massively more interesting as a fan than a Hinchcliffe Erickson Servia lineup. Um, they're an in- inexperienced group, and two of the three missed the race last year, as a friend of mine pointed out. Three of them missed the race last year. Granted, Oliver wasn't in the race, but he certainly wasn't there, so therefore I guess we could say he missed it. But I have no doubt in my mind that they'll approach the race with a a go-big-or-go-home mentality, and I can't wait to see what they can do. How would you rate such a lineup, also considering the reshuffling that's happened over the winter at Spam? Great, good, or too inexperienced? I love this. I really do. I really do. They did lose... Bob Perona, driver coach, that he's at Andretti, I think, heightened role for sure. And Bob is big brain, smart guy. Um, uh, we know that Gilles DeFerrin can be driver coach E, but that's still, I think it's a, that's a little bit small picture for Gilles. I don't foresee Jill combing over steering traces and going, aha, you're turning in two feet earlier here or the video, you know, I don't think Jill's going to be drilling that far down to help one of the young bucks if they're missing something. So they may have hired someone else that I don't know of to backfill Bob's role, but you know, Bob's a really smart guy that makes people faster. Overall, I love this. I'll keep saying it and you know, we're going to record tomorrow with young Mr. Askew as our guest this week. Uh, I mean, it, it's he can prove me wrong. I hope he doesn't, but that kid just looks to me like Alexander Rossi 2.0. I will keep sharing what I believe, which is Pato Awards sensibilities and driving style. It's a big, spectacular, showy thing. When it works... When the risks pay off, we all go, ah, and gasp, and oh, did you see that? That's not Askew. Askew's not the big roll of the dice guy, and if it pays off, boy, you're going to remember it. What he is, frankly, it's more the Rossi model. It's more the Dixon model, where you go, man, just sustained goodness. So between the two, and I've shared this with the team, just, you know, farting around bench racing, Everything that Askew needs to reach his full potential, he can learn from Award. Everything Award needs to reach his full potential, he can learn from Askew. Their their respective strengths are also their respective weaknesses, both sides. Oliver needs to nut up, try some kind of crazy unexpected things that might not pan out. But it also puts you in a different register with some of those that you're racing with. If you're known as the guy who's very good, very fast, very efficient and everything, but you really won't push the boundaries, scare someone, like, you know, take a swing, proverbially, and race on the racetrack, you get raced like that. That's how you get treated. Yeah, I can push this guy around. He's not going to push back. Sometimes you got to take that big risk going down the inside or around the outside, and you might not pull it off. You might spin and crash. You might hit the guy. You might make enemies, but at least you get their respect. There is the punch the bully in the nose type thing that Oliver would benefit will benefit from if he 
ops to do that. Pato, he's kind of full-time punching the bully in the nose, and it's amazing when it works, but there are times where you go, dude, you're in ninth place, and if you pull off this pass, it's going to be amazing, but if you don't, you just crashed out of ninth. Not going for second, not going for third, but ninth. Ah, boy, finishing ninth sure would help you more than being classified 22nd because you wrecked because you don't know when to not punch the bully in the nose. So those two with Alonzo, who is hyper aggressive, but also just very much assassin like in his approach. Uh, I'm really excited for them. I think, although maybe it wouldn't hurt if Oliver learned Spanish so that all three of the drivers here will be Spanish speaking, we could say, hey, Pato and Fernando share a native tongue. I just think that, yeah, that's great. Wonderful. There's nothing negative there, but I think just personality and approach wise, I think Oliver and Fernando might find they have more in common than Pato and Fernando. So I love this. Uh, I really do. Would also throw in that the engineering strength with Craig Hampson, not just being in the overarching role uh, that he will be leading up to the 500, but uh, being someone who uh, will actually be on pit lane making engineering decisions with Fernando I think that really does accelerate the team during the month of May as well. And I know there's a question here a little bit later about Craig, so I don't want to get too deep into it. But, yeah, I love this. Uh, I think this is going to be fun. And I've got to completely agree. Nothing against our pal Hinch or Marcus or Oriole, but if you're talking just fan excitement, for those who don't hold a permanent grudge against Spam Fart because of the getting rid of Hinch thing, yeah, this is this is fascinating. This is really fascinating for me. Uh, let's go to Matthew Featherman, MP. I frequently miss the window to post questions due to my travel schedule. But as I listen to the podcast weekly, I hear a lot of repetitive questions. Uh, let's see. We also have Matthew Featherman who says, MP, I frequently miss the show to post questions due to my travel schedule. But as I listen to the podcast weekly, I hear a lot of repetitive questions. Got another one here from Matthew. Sorry, couldn't resist. Um, Matthew says, while driving and listening to last week's show and thinking about that aspect, question repetition, I was curious if there is something that you were surprised hasn't been asked so far. Well, let me get to the first part here. I try and keep in mind, Matthew, we do ultimately decide which questions do or do not get used. I try and keep in mind that unless it's just the same old thing, What happened between Alonzo and Andretti? Well, I've written about it, spoken about it. I've done everything other than get tattoos to explain it. That's probably one I'm going to pass on. But I do realize that there's a lot of things that come through on a weekly basis. Might be engine and hybrids. It might be whatever. Where someone who didn't listen last week or might have just found the podcast says, hey, I got a question. So I hope that that isn't isn't too too much much of of aa repetitive repetitive issue but i do realize that 
I don't want to make the mistake of pretending that everybody listening knows everything, knows all the inside baseball, understands every little thing, and therefore I can just cut through all that because I've spoken about it in the past. And I'm not saying you're complaining. I'm just trying to share that it's the same thing that happens in print. So in the last week, I've written two or three items about the Aston Martin automotive manufacturer pulling out of the FI World Endurance Championship. It has really destabilized the FIEWEC and their future plans. What I would love to do is after having written the first story where I explain everything, spell everything out, call everyone out by name, Aston Martin Valkyrie Hypercar Program in the 2020 through 2021 FIWC season due to start in September at Silverstone. I'd love to be able to say I have written that in the first story. Here's a follow-up story, and I've already written that stuff. I don't need to write it all again because it's already been done. So I can just go straight into the heart of the new story. Unfortunately, I can't because there's no guarantee someone reading the second story read the first, therefore knows all the little things that I just mentioned. So end up writing all that same stuff again to set things up in the same exact way, which for me is repetitive and I wish I didn't have to do it. But again, it all comes from the standpoint of you never know who is showing up for the first time. So do my best here to answer questions that aren't, don't seem like they've been answered too many times before. If I have failed at that, please continue to give me feedback and I get feedback every day. Uh, but please tell me. So my sensibilities certainly are not always necessarily attuned to uh, what's best or most accurate. On the topic of your being curious, is there something that I'm surprised hasn't been asked so far? Man, that that's uh, that's a uh, proving a negative, which I think is a little bit hard to do. I mean, I, I do get lots of questions. Why aren't you better at your job? Um, why why this? Why that? I don't know. Honestly, uh, I can tell you that with the I mean, total word count this week for all the questions that have been sent in, 2,981 words spanning seven pages in a Word document. And, you know, font size is 11. Uh, so it's not like it's big size text. There's a buttload of questions, Matthew. So I'll, I'm mentioning this because... I rarely come into a week, look through the questions and go, oh, I'm surprised nobody asked that. Um, If anything, I struggle with the opposite where, man, y'all are really clued in on a lot of things, if not just about everything. And so there are times where I wish, frankly, there are questions you didn't ask, but uh, because I don't really want to get into them because they're sensitive. And yet I still do my best to try and do that. Uh, Let's go to Jerry Sudduth. Hey, Jerry. Hope to see it mid-Ohio this year, by the way. Uh, he says, or Indy. He says, this may be absolutely out of left field, but would a turbocharged two-stroke hybrid engine and slash power unit be an affordable option for IndyCar's future? And he says, your family continues to be in our prayers. Thank you, Jerry. The affordable part is the one that is impossible to answer without a little bit more detail, pal, because... Affordable, A, it's a relative thing. Uh, what Chevy might say it could afford, Honda might disagree. But really the, the question here is, 
Are we talking a purebred racing motor built from scratch? A fine group of people fire up their CAD machines and design something that never existed before and bring that into existence? That's going to be expensive. If it is some sort of production-based type thing, then maybe that's not as expensive. So don't be afraid to send this back in with maybe a little bit more of what you were thinking on this front. Let's go to Mike Stoops. Hey, Mike. says, MP, my son recently got a scale model of a Buick V6 IndyCar from the 1980s. Well, that's cool. That got me to thinking, what's the story behind this motor? I began following the sport in 1990, and remember it was underpowered for kart races, but given more boost for the Indy 500. Why did Buick go this route? Great question. So this was an initiative by GM, by the Buick side of General Motors, to use a production-based engine and demonstrate its strength and performance to then reflect positively on its road cars. Yeah. So, great idea. Not a great idea. Great ambition behind the idea. Not great knowing the times and what was needed to succeed in IndyCar. That is for certain sure. Uh... If you think about the mid-1980s, we had the Cosworth DFX 2.65 liter turbocharged V8 based on the Cosworth DFV Formula 1 engine making 700, 750, maybe a little bit more than that in the horsepower range, but nothing crazy, crazy. Very good, but nothing crazy. Chevrolet came along Ilmore, Roger Penske came together, formed the company, the same one today that makes Chevrolet's IndyCar engines, and it made more power, made more torque. It was better, and it pushed the power number up. I forget, back then, I seem to recall hearing 20 or 30 horsepower advantage. It was enough to make a difference. Buick said, well, those are purebred racing engines. Great. We have this seemingly made out of the heaviest metals ever production-based engine and we could probably punch a whole whole heck a bunch of power through this thing because it is it's just this motor it's like it is a tank with cylinders and that's what they did and man did that thing make crazy power i don't know what the exact numbers were i just know that they went up and up and up and as we get into the 90s and John Menard and Brayton Engineering and, and so on put more money into it, it started and making it stronger, more powerful, better than ever before. We're talking a thousand plus horsepower. But prior to that, prior to the investing crazy amounts of money, making it pretty much a full specialized racing engine that could withstand the ridiculous amounts of boost being pushed through it. It was a production-based thing. And what happened, the problems that were encountered is this. With a Cosworth DFX, a Chevy Ilmore V8, not only were these designed from scratch, but they were designed from day one 
to have the torsional rigidity and strength to be a stressed member in the chassis. Bolt the engine to the back of the tub, bolt the gearbox and bell housing and rear wheels and everything to the back of the motor. The motor itself can withstand all the twisting forces and the bending and the everything that goes on to tie this car together while it is going around Indianapolis or Road America, Long Beach, all the banging, bumping, twisting, compressing, flexing, you name it. The motor that is really the the meat in the IndyCar sandwich, tying, holding everything together on top of making power, strong enough to withstand those forces without the rotating items within the motor seizing up. If you imagine engine running, even just say a thousand RPMs, just idling, and you apply enough forces to twist the motor enough, well, all of a sudden those perfectly round cylinders are no longer perfectly round. They're slightly oblong, and pistons stop going up and down. They grind into the cylinder walls. You have connecting rods that break. You have crankshafts that snap. You have valves, and just everything goes bad bad uh this is what happened more often than not with the buick v6 uh in indycar form also in imsa where it made even more power and blew up faster we had a case where as i remember reading in race car engineering back 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 in the day the heads would lift off of the block while stretching while twisting and again uh, you let the smoke out of the motor you let everything out of the motor the oil the parts the metal boom 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 and so this was improved year by year got to the point to where you could use a buick v6 turbo and it wasn't necessarily going to explode for those reasons as the motors held together longer we started to get rightful complaints saying, yeah, I know it's heavy. It's really heavy. And it really does not help the handling of the car because there's just a much greater amount of weight sitting at the back of the car. Uh, but you also can't just dial in crazy amounts of boost to overcome this because there's no way we can keep up with it. And so we did get to a point to where the boost numbers came down and came down and came down so that honestly there was no real reason to keep using it i think what 92 or so was about the end of the line for the real hardcore factory type buick involvement um then after that i know menards obviously they you know and and the bratons they uh took that on and really brought it to a place it had never been quality wise uh power wise everything wise but again that was just something where trying to do a production-based thing was always going to be an achilles heel it reminds me of my friend jim busby and his imsa team in the mid 1980s where they had bf goodrich as a tire sponsor great major tire manufacturer sponsoring the entire team putting in a whole bunch of money these glorious porsche 962s 
So BF Goodrich going up against primarily Goodyear shod teams, but there are some, you know, Yokohama was in there and Dunlop was in there a little bit. There, you know, there were some, a few smaller ones, but it was really a case. Bridgestone was there, but BF Goodrich was really wanting to use IMSA GTP two car Porsche 962 program as a showcase for their products. And so they used production-based tires. <laughs> Not for too long, uh, but yeah, using the kind of real, no joke, treaded type tires. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> the cars were so slow and so bad, but that was the marketing hook they decided to go with, just like Buick and their production-based motor and yeah so i am struggling to remember buick winning a single indycar race i know they won the pole obviously at the 500 with uh, poncho carter uh i believe was the first one to do that and you know again we know that some pretty amazing speeds were achieved but i'm struggling to recall a, a single buick win while they played an indycar so yeah thanks for asking that was a fun one mike uh paul trahan mp if you could bring back an indycar team from the past who would it be just because it's the first one that came to mind i would say pdm paul diatlovich motorsports i enjoyed competing against them in the early days of the earl the good old IRL, and they were around before that. But I just loved Paul, and it was this little shitbox of a team at a time where most of the IRL teams were little shitbox teams, my own included, the one that I worked for and managed and did some assistant engineering with. But there was just a great spirit in them. They they were the the in the paddock. They were like the paddocks team. You know, we knew that they were never really going to be a threat. Um loved it when they do the the flame paint job on the nose and whatever else it was john paul jr whomever they might have in the car just the pdm guys just seem to get it uh you know they were the it, it's always five o'clock somewhere let's have a beer guys they're serious about what they did but i just love them really did yeah they're so much fun so i'd say them we don't we don't really have that team anymore do we that one in the paddock where you go they're just a lot of fun i would say maybe i'm a little bit biased we had it up through 2019 with the french fry and uh that little dale coin team he was with and that seemed to be a lot of fun and just you know wanted to go win took themselves seriously but didn't take themselves too seriously and yeah i mean nothing against sev's replacement but i'm just not feeling it so I don't know. Maybe that's another one. Tell me, is there a team you think of that's just like team fun? Uh, not because they do things that are fun. Oh, look at the promotions or the event or the funny little haha video they post on an Instagram. I mean, just the people themselves. They're just the ones you'd want to go drink with. Maybe Shank, I guess. I know Mike, you want to go drink. We all want to go drink with Mike, but the team as a whole, I don't know. Maybe they are like him. Maybe they. Maybe that's the answer, but you tell me. Let's go to DJ Jordan. It says, MP, during the dreadfully long offseason, I will watch old IndyCar races. As I was watching the 2008 season, I wondered why IndyCar went with just the Delara chassis, not the Panos DP01. He says, uh, with the transition teams having problems getting equipment to race, 
according to the broadcasters, why not have the transition teams run the Panos and the RL teams run the Dallaras? Uh, it says, 2008 was my first year really getting into IndyCar, so I didn't know what was really going on. It says, thanks for the podcast. It helps me get through the workday. Sending positive vibes to my wife and I. Thank you. That's a, That might be the easiest one to answer so far, DJ, because the Panos DPO one would have kicked the living butt crack out of the Delara IR 0307, whatever it was. Um, man... You want to talk about adults fighting children. Um, that's what we would have had. The DPO one was sublime. Oh man. That thing was amazing. Uh, if you think about the spec Delara chassis with the spec Honda motor again, beautiful Honda motor, but no competition. So there's no need for it to be making outrageous amounts of power. Um, these are just night and day, man. Really, night and day concepts, power, downforce, handling. You know, keep in mind the keep in mind that the IRL chassis was never designed to do road coursing. Road coursing. To do road coursing. I'm gonna go with that. It's never designed to do road coursing. Uh but they finagled it and made it do it and they bolted things on that allow them to do it but uh it was really just never never truly meant to do that so yeah not a surprise that uh really and truly uh we have a situation where the panos dpo one just you know it was the adult absolute adult uh, in this relationship, the other thing I'm trying to find here um, is the qualifying difference uh, here in terms of how fast things were or were not. Um, and I was there for the event in 2008. I wish I remembered that on the back in the back of my head. Um, what was this? How did how did they do here for qualification in terms of lap time yeah pole position in the panos dp01 set in the final ever champ car race that was earned by my brother my brother justin wilson at a one minute 06.9 pole position the following year in the IRL spec to Lara about two seconds slower, one oh nine point seven. You know, and I know we're two seconds might not sound like much. Keep in mind that the circuit's not even two miles long. It's not a long track. It's not a you know. It, it, how's this? If this were another circuit, uh, Road America, I yeah, it might be four to five seconds. So you. There's no way I can think of you could realistically performance balance things back then, DJ. That really wasn't even something we thought about. Uh, let's go to Pokersaurus Betts, who has become a frequent new exchanger of silliness on the tweeters. It says, MP, what can you tell us about the Gene Simmons experience in the IRL that we don't know? We all know the stupid song and the stupid comments in a wind tunnel. Any good stories you can share? The only one that jumps out right now is 
the rumored amount that Gene was paid to do that. Can't tell you if the rumored numbers are accurate, but I'm told it's well more than a million dollars. Yes. I am so frustrated at myself at the IMS memorabilia show from a couple years ago. Uh, I think I had like $20 left and somebody had an I am Indy hat for sale. And I just wanted to make another swing through to make sure there was nothing else that I really wanted before going back to buy it. And someone bought it. I mean, that that thing would never leave my head. (laughs) So I guess I need to keep looking for one. Uh, Yeah, just the money. Uh, We know how bad it was, but just the other thing, too, is it's not a story. It's just a rationality thing. So by 2008 or whenever that thing came out, Kiss hadn't really been a thing for a long time, right? And I realize that they have a very dedicated group that fills every venue that they do. But, you know, as a lifelong Rush fan, just saying, it's a pretty similar thing. Super hardcore, dedicated fan base. But the average person probably can't name more than one song. Um, So while Gene Simmons and Kiss were certainly a thing when I was a kid in the 70s, and then they had a little bit of crap in the 80s. Like, you know, this is just the dinosaurs of rock you're paying a lot of money to. I uh, would also tell you that at the time this happened, you know, granted, IndyCar with an older demographic probably would have at least been Gene Simmons adjacent. But this just struck me as something where you go, wow, this says more about the series than it does the person they're hiring. The series believes that this guy is going to connect with people. Now, I also know that he had a reality show, all these things, but still, um, just why not Ozzy Osbourne, I guess is what I'm getting at. At least everybody knows Ozzy. Everybody did love that reality show and he might vomit on your shoes while singing. That would be fun. Gene Simmons, just D bag immortal who, yeah, really from a niche band that while very popular for those who love it, you know, uh, yeah, I never understood that part. So it just told me that the folks making decisions inside IndyCar at that time. Oh boy. Yeah. Andrew Hoffman, as we get into our round two questions and, uh, we actually only have a couple of pages to go. Uh, Andrew Hoffman MP it's been announced that IndyCar will be issuing grid penalties for early engine changes in 2020 something they got rid of after 2013. What gives? Who is asking for the grid penalties to come back and why? Um, Let me find the email title, or I don't even know if it was a title, the whatever it was, uh, that I sent to a guy by the name of Jay Fry last night. The subject of the email was, because this actually came out when the, uh, the rules, the new rules were released online, um, Please tell me the most hated and confusing former IndyCar rule isn't returning, dot, dot, dot. Uh, Wanted to discuss this and hopefully see if there is a way to stave this off. I've since spoken with a number of folks today, not Jay, who said he'd uh, reach out. We didn't get a chance to connect to get today, but 
I've written that story. I haven't published it yet because I'm waiting to get some insight from the series because I've heard the reasoning behind it, which is the, we want to, we don't necessarily want that rule back, but we're not sure exactly what, how else to do things to prevent the scenario we saw late in the season, this past season, which is throwing fresh motors at championship contenders. Hey, all right, I know this is going to knock us out maybe of counting your car in the manufacturer championship points race, but you're vying for the driver's championship, and that's the big showy thing, and you know that that's a great thing to be attached to. That's what gets all the recognition, not the manufacturer's championship. So new motor, new motor, new motor, new motor, and that goes beyond the intent of paying for the lease one point. One one point two million dollars per entry, four engines meant to last the entire season, ten thousand miles of competition, including the preseason open test and any private testing teams might choose to do as well along the way and the open tests during the season. Um, this just makes me think they're might be better ways than doing this because if the goal is to prevent the end of season throw new motors at a bunch of contenders violating the intent of the rule here uh, and saying well then we just need to go back to having grid penalties to stop them i'd rather see it become a monetary thing right what's the thing that we hear from both manufacturers it's cost too much. It really, that's the thing that they don't like. And boy, it pushes their comfort zone. Well, great. Then say, so you want to do that? I mean, unless it has a giant hole in the side of the block, unless there's some demonstrable like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way you could use that because it's in a thousand pieces uh, out on the racetrack right now. Barring that situation, if it's just a, hey, this is new or fresh, or we've come up with some developments that we think are going to make more power, we're going to change it out early, we're going to take the hit in the manufacturer points, but this is going to give our guy or guys a better chance. I don't know. What does that cost? $100,000 per motor? $200,000 per motor? Hey, you want to do that? All right. Uh, You're going to be writing some big checks quarter million dollars let's make this real and we're going to use that money name the thing uh we're going to put that into some sort of benevolent fund we're going to use that for i don't know advanced uh cockpits around concussion this that the uh, who knows something to improve safety uh we're going to use this to give prizes to the up-and-coming stars of the sport who knows but Drivers paying the penalty for motors blowing up when really and honestly, there's almost never the driver at fault for the motors blowing these days. Uh, Them paying the penalty and their fans going, yeah, but I saw he qualified third and now he's starting 12th. What? Of course, fans are smart. We're all smart. We can count. We can add. We can subtract. We can figure that stuff out. It's just the, the stupidity and confusion. It's the thing that continues to be a bit of an anchor around Formula One's neck of, oh, and guess what? Carlos Sainz Jr. has 9,000 spot grid penalty to serve. And for the rest of the season, they're going to be starting last and whatever, whatever. 
this is just something to me that with all the positives Penske Entertainment has brought since buying the series, all the things that just last week everyone or the week before everyone was saying, this is amazing, more money and better this, gonna improve that and tear this out and put this up and build it just better, 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 better. And you throw this in. This is one of those things where I believe the benefit, Andrew of being outside of Indianapolis, outside of the halls of the IndyCar series, is it's not it's a good thing. I'm sure many of you have thought the same. I just wonder where in the thought process. And I'm I've been told waiting subject to clarification. This was an IndyCar thing. IndyCar decided to re-implement this knowing that Frankly, none of the folks there now in charge were there when it happened the last time. So it's not like they're saying, hey, remember when we did this? We're going to bring it back. This is, hey, we weren't here, but uh, we're intentionally choosing something people hated. We got rid of after two years, or they got rid of after two years. We're going to bring that thing back. Uh, This, I just wonder why, after looking at the huge wave of positivity no one did a bit of a sanity check to say, is this truly the best way? Is doing all these things to improve the fan experience and then now throwing a monkey wrench in it? Hey, Alexander Rossi fans, your guy's on pole. No, he's not. Starting seventh. Huh? I swear I watch qualifying or whatever, and I swear that guy actually held up the award and they took photo, but he's starting seventh. Having to explain that thing. Hey, Zach Veach, best career qualifying of whatever. Now that's gone. Hey, Connor Daly, whomever. Just, it is a storytelling problem at all times. And if this is being done for the whole year just to prevent something from the very end, if that's what I've, if that's accurate and what I've been told, ah, boy. This this is dumb. This is D-U-M-M dumb. Going to go to Vinny Zapata next. He says, hey, MP, I just discovered IndyCar last season. He says, I'm a 37-year-old man, and I loved it. Well, that is truly awesome to hear, Vinny. He says, can't believe I've missed so many years of such a great sport. And as a new fan, I'm sure this has been asked before, but why are there not more oval courses? So thanks for the podcast. It's really helped me through the last few months as I'm in a bit of a dark patch of my life right now. And maybe uh, sounds silly to some, but listening does bring me joy and peace for an hour or so. Best wishes to you and your wife. Man, Finny. I don't like to hear that you're in a dark patch. I don't know you, but I can tell you that having been in more than one dark patch in my life, and at times feeling like we're in one now. Uh, yeah, so if this silly little thing that I do each week is a little bit of a help, that's awesome. And don't be afraid to reach out just through direct message or an email or whatever, man. And let's talk IndyCar, brother. Um, why not? Why aren't there more ovals? Really, really straight answer, sad answer. And it's that they aren't as popular as they once were for IndyCar. We also see that happening with NASCAR a bit, where just attendance seems to be down, down, down. Um, not everywhere, I'm sure, but we haven't heard the story of oval circuits 
the vast majority of them just running out of tickets. That would be a wonderful thing. It's a very specific form of the sport that if you didn't grow up with it, you can learn to love it. I didn't grow up with it. We don't have any ovals out here. We had, what, Baylands Raceway? Actually, just <laughs> maybe five miles from where we live right now. But, um, I mean, I remember going there as a kid at, like, four years old, maybe. Barely remember it. But I mean, the West Coast here, uh, it's road racing. Of course, there are Ascot Park. And not saying there aren't ovals out here. I'm just saying culturally, West Coast definite road racing place and i think that style of racing is just something that is a little easier for folks to get to go see street races um natural terrain road circuits just a little bit of a different experience that seems for reasons i don't fully grasp to be more popular than ovals as time has gone on And I am someone who has been to Milwaukee many times and love it and wish it was still here and Loudoun and this track and that track, um, Chicago land and, you know, not talking about ones that are gone necessarily, just there's some that were very popular and worked well in IndyCar, whether it was the IRL or cart and champ car, uh, just for whatever reason, doesn't seem to be as, as popular and Fontana's another one. Man, there was some great racing there in the last couple of years. Scary racing, but great racing. I don't know if we had 5,000 people there. We could look at plenty of the, the symptoms, Vinny. Was the time of the year right? There was one or two of the Fontana races, I remember, where it was legitimately 100 degrees, if not hotter. Uh, <laughs> you could not... <laughs> You could not go back and forth between Starbucks fast enough to get your Frappuccino or that, you know, ice-based drink to try and cool your core. It just, yeah. And you go, well, hell, the drivers are just, you know, sleeping in coolers with bags of ice on top of them between sessions to stay cool. Why on earth would anyone go sit in the grandstands and just bake? So the timing didn't work, or the promotion sucked, or, you know, Milwaukee, I remember the last one or two, I believe there was some sort of major convention in town that, you know, if folks, or I don't know if it was a convention, but some sort of big thing in town where, by and large, folks said, we're going there. And boy, why haven't folks shown up to the Oval Race here? So, yeah, that's it, and would say as well, We went back to Phoenix here recently, and again, no one showed up because it had been a long time since IndyCar had been there, and I'd say a generation had passed to where the only thing folks thought of there uh, was either the Silver Crown cars or NASCAR, and not IndyCar, and there just weren't enough fans to sustain it being a thing. I fear, Vinny, that this is almost irreversible i'm glad that we have what we have pocono's gone away as well i didn't have enough fans even though it grew you know incrementally year by year uh but yeah i think the ones that we have gateway is obviously the shining success uh, iowa 
I'm hoping that the night race this year gets more folks involved. That would be amazing. Richmond, which I haven't been to since 2001 when uh, we were there and on the pole. Uh, Sam Schmidt Motorsports, first pole. Um, I'm hoping folks turn up to Richmond. I kind of think they will because these Indy cars are quick and they look good. And uh, Yeah, I think that's going to work. I hope Texas keep hoping that more fans show up there Indy obviously is what it is but yeah I can tell you I love me my road and street courses but I really do love big packed ovals because it is a totally different kind of thing and just your neck whipping around to keep up with the speed and the action it's otherworldly you go to some road courses in particular where they have a corner or two that everyone goes to because you want to see these amazing machines do things that defy physics and just what your eyes say should be possible. Most of the ovals we go to, that's the entire thing the entire time. Like the whole time you're there everywhere, pick a corner and you're going, what? This makes no sense. That's crazy. So I wish we had more of those. I just don't know if that's where we're trending. And seriously, Vinny, send me a note, man. Um, I don't have much time, but uh, I certainly will make some time. Philip Schmitz. Hey, Philip. This is a month ago. We had news that Kyle Busch was approved by Toyota to race the Indy 500, that being with the Chevy team, which is great, but a bit too late to have a team like ECR prepare for a one-off entry. What is usually the timetable for teams preparing a one-off Indy 500 car? Best answer I can give you is I asked Mike Hull from Chip Ganassi Racing about that. Uh, what, a month ago when he was on the show? Something like that. And he said, even then, with questions of could they run someone else, there was a feeling that the window had already passed to, if not get the car done properly, assemble the right people have enough quality people to put the car together and get it ready for the April 30th open test. So as Mike and Bobby Rahal and many others tell me about the desire or potential to run an extra car, it really is about the people. And could you put, could they decide on April 15th to put an extra car in the field? Sure. If, Granted, I think the entries are closed by then, but, you know, they could decide to do it the day before the open test, I'm sure. But at that stage, you're going to be robbing from another program you have in-house if you have one, or if you don't, and all you do is IndyCar racing, you're not going to find people who should be running an IndyCar. And that's the issue. It's it's a bigger, bigger topic here, Philip, that we don't discuss often. But it is becoming more of a thing, and that is the greatest complaint and concern offered by IndyCar teams on an annual basis is we can't find enough good people, enough experienced people, and we aren't in a position where we're going to put an extra car in the show while everyone on pit lane is doing their very first live Indy 500 pit stop. That wouldn't be fair to the driver, to the sponsors, to anything. So if we can't do it properly, we won't do it at all. Keeps coming back to 
not driver talent, not sponsor talent and how much they can spend, but we just can't find enough ready-to-go quality people uh, to make us confident that we can turn something around quickly. It's all, let's start talking in, well, frankly, the end of an existing season. Hey, uh, don't know if you're going to be full-time next year, but we'd love to have you at Indy. All right, let's keep talking. Um, it's hard to get that conversation going in January or February and have a lot of the star players you might want for the 500 only still to be left on the board. Let's go to Michael Mueller. Got a long one here. Michael and I'm going to short in just a little bit. We're actually down to our last couple of questions. Uh, I think three total. Marshall, I wanted to chime in regarding your comments from last week and the lack of a presence from IndyCar in the world of video games and esports. The obvious fix to the solution is iRacing. Just mentioned that, Michael, that that is the thing that gets mentioned by everyone, and it's a great suggestion. It's just a narrow suggestion. Uh, iRacing, great, awesome, phenomenal, and all of that. Uh, I think the having a major gaming platform that the world is connected to. I know that anyone in the world can connect to iRacing, but I'm just saying something where you go, ooh, that's a console legion and following where there's zillions of people throughout the world who are plugged into something that you know is tribal. iRacing isn't that. Um, he goes on to say, IndyCar already has a marketing relationship in some capacity with the iRacing series, as the official series and Indy 500 logos can be found on their website. The current Delara IR18 chassis, it's actually the uh, DW12 chassis with uh, 2018 bodywork, by the way. That's someone from IndyCar actually reach out not too long ago and say, hey, I noticed in print you refer to the car as a DW12. Someone in the engineering group wanted me to ask, why don't you refer to it as an IR18? To which I said, because the chassis is not from 2018. Now, granted, folks could certainly buy a brand new chassis um in whatever built in whatever year but the design is from 2012 that's the lineage so any cars built in 2015 2016 they're not ir15s ir16s they're all ir12s because that's a base design you can put new bodywork on the thing from 2018 it doesn't make it an ir18 as i tried to explain and it i don't know if that satisfied the person from indycar's engineering group but that's just historically how things work. So, sorry, and I'm not, this isn't aimed at you, Michael. I just, this was here, so I decided to answer a question I posed to myself. Um, Jesus, I haven't had anything to drink, right? And it sounds like I'm drunk. This is awesome. I'm a free drunk. Says so the current Delar IR18 chassis and 11 tracks from the 2020 schedule are available in the sim, so the costly hard work and development has already been done. Adds that NASCAR uses iRacing for its official esports league, despite also having a console game readily available. Um, long story short, mentions that a console game is much more expensive and uh, takes longer to develop, so I understand the absence in that space. However, promoting an official IndyCar esports series on iRacing is such an easy move to make, there's simply no reason not to do it. The longer IndyCar ignores the space, the more ground they lose to other series. How many times have I said that, and you said that, and so many other people said that? And yet it seems like we're just talking to ourselves. Sad. It's not quite as bad an oversight as Bernie Ecclestone refusing to use social media for Formula One, but it's getting close. I'm with you. 
Michael, um, I'm going to make a note here. Uh, I have three items on the list for Jay when we speak tomorrow, and I'm going to just add in eSports slash console and see if we get anything. I hope we do. I doubt we will, but I hope we will. Two to go, Ross Porter. Hey, Ross, Marshall, one question and one funny comment. Maybe it was my jet fuel so close, putting off some fumes, or maybe it was just sleep deprivation. But on my drive home from work, I thought, what better pre-May promo, pre-May promo for Mr. Penske than to hold a test on the local interstate loop? I-465. Envision strategically placed pit stalls at various speedway gas stations along the route, seating along overpasses, and a surface to really show the durability of the dollar chassis and Firestone tires. Uh, Tell me where to get that jet fuel and the right amount to soak because it's only going to make my show better. If you're having thoughts like that, Ross, they're awesome, and I want to have them while recording this show. As for the question, Vitor Mira was my favorite driver for years and one of the nicest guys I ever met. I know he injured his back pretty bad in 2009, but he seemed to just fade out of the series without much explanation or reporting and wonder if you know more to the story. I do not. I kind of had the same questions as well as to what happened to good old Vitorius Mira. He's, uh, yeah... I like him. He's a good guy. I can't fully explain why Vitor... I mean, I I know that he had some really good backing. I know that there was uh, Brazil Brazilian concerns that really helped his career, kept his career going. I do think that that might have been one of the reasons where there was support from good old Brazel and that diminished. I mean, the last thing I remember him doing was a full season with Foyt. And I'm not totally sure why that went sideways. Um, you know, he did do well with Panther. I think he finished fifth or sixth in the championship um, with them. And did well with the uh, Ray Hall team. Um, I don't know. Uh, There's a part of me that wonders if just the money side of it is something that sidetracked his career. I seem to recall that falling into my head as being a thing. And knowing that he went back to Brazil and did the Brazilian stock car stuff for a little bit. um, It makes me think that at least the money to compete in IndyCar might have just fallen through. Uh, all right, we're going to a final question, and my wife is going to be happy because she texted me and said, uh, dinner, dummy. I uh, shouldn't say the dummy part, but I just assume that that's in there. Uh, final question goes to our pal Kevin DeVries. It says, Marshall, I've heard you talk about drivers whose driving style, they prefer a car that trends towards an understeer condition versus those that prefer one that leans towards oversteer what would you say the percentage split is of the field that prefers an understeering car versus oversteering? I can only pull a percentage out of my butt, Kevin. Sorry for that visual, by the way. I'm going to make a note here that I'm hoping I won't forget to ask 
drivers oversteer or understeer, which at least as race engineers, most of us do, we write that as O slash S or U slash S, which is what I just wrote. I'm going to ask, hey, what are you? I mean, I know what I see, but what I see, and I don't pretend to remember every single driver. Often it's a when I see them for the first time on track, up close in a corner, whatever, I'm like, oh, okay, that's right. I want to know what they think. We know Bourdais, as I've mentioned, he is an understeer guy. Understeer faux life. Dixie is a not understeer faux life kind of guy. But that's a great question, Kev. I want to find out what the drivers say. Another thing, I know I've posed this question to some before trying to get their thoughts. Thoughts. Plural, not singular. And some, I think DJ Willie P might have been one who didn't really want to say, didn't really want to answer because he didn't want to, you know, potentially give his rivals an advantage in knowing something. I love those guys. I love the ones who are like, oh, I believe this is so top secret that I can't possibly, when I retire, I've gotten that a couple times. I'm going to have to wait till I'm done driving to tell you that or answer that. Um, It's kind of cute. So I don't know. I couldn't give you a percentage because sometimes I need to see the drivers doing that. The where there's a little bit of nuance here, Kevin, to appreciate is there are those who you can see in how they drive the car that they absolutely prefer the back end to be moving a little bit. They will, you know, do a little pitch and catch if they need to get the car to rotate. Zach Veach is one, for example, that guy, you know, his he is on top of a, a bucking Bronco quite often. And that doesn't mean the car is ill handling or doing anything bad, but just he lo- tends to like a car that's a little bit loose, talking more road course, street course. But uh, that's the area of comfort I tend to see him in the most. And when he's going the fastest, his hands are going there at a super high work rate. There's some other drivers like Rossi who... I would say, observing externally, he is not an understeer guy. From what I watch, it looks like he's actually not an oversteer or understeer guy. Not necessarily a guy that wants the car neutral, not having a a taily disposition or a, a nosy disposition. But I see him leaning really hard on the rear of the car. Subtleties there. Doesn't mean the side of the car is Tokyo drifting on him, but just the way that he works speed out of the car into a corner through and on exit can just see that the lot is being demanded of the rear and those rear tires. But he's not a guy that has just crazy amounts of regular oversteer sliding catching moments because he is so stupidly good behind the wheel that he is managing the car the entire time through the corner for some other drivers who are less skilled you will see that manifest in a little bit of oversteer leaving the corner and you go whoa look at him catch that slide all right cool again it's really awesome to behold isn't necessarily the fastest way because you're expending energy in having to correct the car from sliding instead of it being pointed 
straight down the road and putting maximum acceleration forward. Guy like Rossi, he's not the only one. Dixon does this and, you know, power is one of them as well. There's, there's not a ton, but there's a number that are in this elite hunter killer category where their hands are seemingly a blur in the car because while to make the, the way they like to make their speed, that thing is floating and dancing seemingly on the edge of breaking traction and having that sideways moment almost, I'm exaggerating, but almost everywhere throughout their fast laps. But they are anticipating those slides and managing it with little micro million mile an hour inputs to the steering wheel. So instead of feeling the rear of the car, load, 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 get to the corner exit and wham, big oversteer moment, big steering correction, their hand high on the steering wheel to capture that slide and keep the car on the tarmac. What you see instead of that big showy moment, handheld high thing is Throughout the cornering phase, you see them, you know, looks like they're doing the little happy dance, little wiggle dance with their hands because they are balancing the car on the edge of adhesion and putting much smaller little pieces of opposite lock into the car that don't really show up a bunch. They don't, you don't see the front tires turned at some crazy angle to catch the rear at a crazy angle. It's just this little floating, managing, small thing that they do. And it is so, it's just a ballet. It's just, it is so beautiful to watch. Not as recognizable or fun or, whoa, there's Dom Toretto or whatever. Yeah, Fast and Furious 29. There we go. Look at that. It's not that. That stuff's always fun to watch, isn't necessarily always fast. So it's the ones who can make the crazy speed and be on the edge, like the crazy edge, but they're actually keeping the car from showing that it's going to break loose, uh, who anticipate what's about to happen and correct it before it happens instead of waiting to let it happen and then correct it. You go, oh, look at that big slot. Those are the ones who are just playing at a crazy level. And so, yeah, there's that. So I can't wait, Kev, to start to start asking, what do you think you are? Are you an oversteer guy, understeer guy? What are you? And are you the true unicorn? Are you the true Elvis and Bigfoot riding a UFO type who really calls for a neutral, neutral handling car? Uh, hope to find out. Hope to have an answer. So there you go. That is the week in IndyCar for this week. And I'm going to shut up and then put this up and then go make dinner for my wife. And thank you all for sending in your questions. Thank you for listening to me doing whatever the hell I do here. Thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Thanks to the little outro music here, which... For those who stick around, I actually dial it up so you can hear the last whatever amount of seconds of the full rocking out experience. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is our podcast. This is your listener Q&A. Can't wait to talk to you next week.